Joking aside, I was doing a play many years ago in New York, and uh, I came home one night after the show, and there was a letter in my apartment building from the Four Seasons Hotel. And I read it, and it was one of the most thoughtful, articulate letters I got about this whole play. And it was signed Bruce Willis. And I immediately called my friend Stuart and said, fuck you, it's a wind up. <laughs> and uh, he said, I don't know what you're talking about. So I called Bruce, I said, did you really write me this letter? He said, yeah. So we had a beer and um, he says, essentially, you're doing the kind of work I want to be a part of and whatever you're doing, if you can put me in the mix, I'm in, sight unseen. And um, I didn't think that would really stick. And many years later, when I wanted to make my own film, real passion project, it's hard to get those things done, he was the first person I called and he said, I told you, if you ever need me, I'm in. And uh, we just made this movie together and had a beautiful time. And I wouldn't have gotten it made without you. Uh, and I'm really deeply grateful for that. Um, I love you. Or maybe I'm a very good actor and I'm just acting when I say that you would. <laughs> You wouldn't know the difference, and that's the reason I love you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a bittersweet episode of Second Chance Cinema. Bittersweet because this is our season finale. We've made it to the end of season three, believe it or not, with 16 episodes, and we're about to wrap it up with a sort of a unique spin on what we normally do. We'll get into that in a second, but before we do that, would like to introduce my... Did I introduce myself already? No. Oh, hey, what's up? I'm MC. <laughs> I got so lost in my thoughts that I, I couldn't remember back 30 seconds. So, I'm MC and with me as always is my co-host Spro. Spro, what's up? I'm good. I'm good. Bittersweet is a good description for what we're about to do today. It's funny because even as we wrap up season three, we've already semi started planning out season four. So it's like there's excitement on what's on the horizon. But in the same instance, season three, the wrap up of it all, we started this face to face, person to person after I moved back from LA and you moved back from Connecticut and we rejoined together. And then season two was COVID and us just trying to figure out how we could do this, but separate in separate rooms. And we started flirting with guests. And now I feel like season three, we have solidified our family of guests and they will all make an appearance, hopefully today on today's episode. But I think we've solidified second chance cinema and I am excited for the growth of season four and just letting our roots spread. I would say that's a really bountiful and comprehensive description of kind of where we are right now. I'm not convinced that, for the most part, anyone besides our mothers listens to the show. I would love to be proven wrong, and I say that sort of in jest. I know that there are people who listen to the show, and since we don't have the greatest social media presence, sometimes it's hard to gauge that in a real-time kind of way because, you know, we're not interacting, posting, all that sort of thing. That said, one of the things that we discussed at our business person lunch dinner 
at Applebee's was trying to remedy that and basically make our ramblings a little bit more accessible. So as we head into season four, we certainly want to take our time with this wrap up episode, but I don't think Spro's wrong in saying that we're we're looking forward and and hopefully good things are in store. I was trying to think of sitcoms or TV shows that hit their stride in the third or fourth season. And I don't know definitively if that's the case with with some of them, but I started thinking about The Office and Seinfeld, and I'm certainly not comparing our reach with with them. But I think that we've got our legs under us now, and I think that we're hopefully only going to get better. Right? Right. And on the flip side, the negative side of things, the third season, you can kind of look at as the third generation of like a family business. And the third generation is often where the family business or business in general, the third ownership fails. And we have not. We're going to keep on going. They say it's the third generation because the first generation is the hard workers who build it, right? Second generation is their children who watched their their parents work very hard to build the company. And then the third generation doesn't see any of that really and are kind of spoiled. And so third generation is usually when... I know a lot of statistics are made up on the spot, and I'm going to do that right now, but it's like 70% of (laughs) third generation family businesses fail out of the gate. So third season in the bag, fourth season planning coming. We're here forever, guys. So what you're (laughs) saying, what you're saying is our kids are going to really benefit come season four. Yes. Awesome. Well, Today, we, like I said, have a sort of a unique episode, and it's kind of in line with what we've done for our season finale episodes at the ends of season one and season two. We're not going to focus so much on a movie. We're going to focus on an actor. And for this episode, we decided that Bruce Willis would be the topic of our discussion. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. And... It's probably not entirely obvious why, so I'll quarterback a little bit of it and then we'll get into a deeper discussion. But Bruce Willis is retired now due to his frontotemporal dementia, which has, among other things, made it difficult for him to remain an actor. Frontotemporal dementia, or FTD, is a term used to describe a collection of related brain disorders that involve the neurodegeneration of the frontal and temporal lobes. The neurodegeneration in FTD is associated with a variety of symptoms, and different presentations of symptoms have been used to establish multiple subtypes of FTD. The three main subtypes are behavioral variant FTD, semantic variant primary progressive aphasia, and non-fluent variant primary progressive aphasia. In behavioral variant FTD, patients display a variety of changes in behavior, emotions, personality, and executive control. For example, they may exhibit compulsive behavior, apathy, and or socially inappropriate behavior. In primary progressive aphasias, the main impairment is with language. Patients who have the semantic variant of primary progressive aphasia display deficits in word comprehension as well as trouble recalling certain words, along with other language difficulties. Patients who have the non-fluent variant primary progressive aphasia have difficulty producing fluent speech, which might involve trouble speaking at all or problems with the use of grammar to produce understandable speech. FTD is associated with a pathological process called frontotemporal lobar degeneration, which involves the death of neurons and other pathological changes in the frontal and temporal lobes, as well as other areas of the brain, such as the anterior cingulate cortex and insular cortex. 
In FTD, the degeneration of neurons is associated with the accumulation of structurally abnormal proteins, which might contribute to cell death through multiple mechanisms. The protein accumulation and associated damage spreads, causing the symptoms of FTD to get progressively worse over time. While initially, a patient may display symptoms linked to just one of the FTD subtypes, the spreading neurodegeneration may eventually lead to the manifestation of symptoms from multiple subtypes. Unfortunately, at this point, there are no drugs approved to treat FTD, so treatment primarily involves managing symptoms. And as we were talking before the show, we sort of summed up the goal of this episode as a tribute, a celebration, and also an acknowledgement of the fact that Bruce Willis being retired kind of makes us sad because he's made some really awesome movies. The goal here, like I said, is is mainly predominantly a celebration of some of the awesome movies that he's made. And there have been a ton. I would not, if asked for a list of my favorite actors, Bruce Willis would not be on that list. However, I would be remiss to say that he's not an actor who the majority of uh, his films I've failed to enjoy. What are your thoughts as we open up this sort of tribute celebration of, of Bruce Willis? Well, bittersweet is how you started the episode. I was thinking about it today before we got on the mic. And when it comes to Michael Bay and Ben Affleck, I think everybody under the sun who talks movies and films and everything like that has had the conversation where somebody has said, I don't like Michael Bay, or I don't get the fascination with Michael Bay, or I don't like Ben Affleck. I just I don't like the way that he acts. I don't think he's a good actor. So when it came to those episodes, we already knew the jump off point because we were going to defend them. I don't think I know. I have never talked to anybody that said, I don't like Bruce Willis, right? Like they might not have liked a film that he was in or anything, but as an actor and as a a man, uh, as you know, a personality, I don't think I've ever talked to somebody that said, Bruce Willis is not for me. I won't see one of his movies. That's and really, really interesting. Be, a, a peek behind the curtains, we were going to do, and we still might do, a different actor where we were going to have to defend them. Because even my mom the other day was saying, I'm not going to go see that movie. I don't like that actor. I don't like his belief system or anything like that. Where Bruce Willis, <laughs> I, wonder I don't think. I wonder who she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, um, that was the easiest hint I've, <laughs> I've ever heard, I think. That was great. Um But Bruce Willis, have you ever talked to somebody that said, I don't like Bruce Willis? Not for entertainment reasons. Having come from, you know, my career background, I know people who've either dealt with his, you know, entourage or things like that. And some of the experiences were less than ideal. But and and again, that's not me. I've, I've never met him, I don't think. I've never dealt with him. But So, that's all just kind of secondhand, thirdhand stories. But entertainment-wise, I certainly wouldn't avoid a movie because Bruce Willis is in it. And there was a time when I may have been inclined specifically to go see a movie because he was in it. And maybe not even him, the actor, but the characters that he's brought to life and the characters that he's portrayed and the the deceptive range that he's got when it comes to obviously action and adventure but also comedy drama I, I don't know how to caricature characterize his his acting range I suppose but I can think of him in all kinds of different movies that have been at the very least serviceably entertaining so before we 
get into our discussion. We're going to wrap up the season three Wheel of Poetry archives with one more poem. And uh, this poem obviously is going to be about the subject of our show, Bruce Willis. So here to introduce our Wheel of Poetry is our our good friend, Rudy Approved, Chet Poetry. Chet, how are you? Hey, it's me, Chet Poetry. Welcome to the Wheel of Poetry. All right. On the Wheel of Poetry, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different types of poetry. And Spro and MC are going to spin it, whichever one it lands on. That's what they got to ride. We got toast slash roast poems. We got limerick poems. We got ABAB poems. We got haiku poems. We got acrostic poems. We got song parody poems. And the new one, we've got quatrain poems. So if you can think of a better type of poetry that should go on this wheel, write it. Thanks, Chet. <laughs> All right, you ready? I'm going to spin the wheel of poetry. What are we going to do for a trailer? Um, good, good. What's Die Hard? Sure. What's the most? Yeah, Die Hard. Die Hard. Jump it off Might with well. Die Hard. Die Hard. All right, here we go. Ready? Here we go. So we landed on the ABAB, the A-B-A-B poem. This is a poem in which the first and third lines rhyme and the second and fourth lines rhyme uniquely with each other. I feel like we just did one of these. A-B-A-B? Yeah. Probably. TMNT was a haiku. I remember that because I just listened to it the other day. Oh, it was Hancock. Hancock, yeah. So, I all right. So, let's do it. So, ABAB seems to be our our, uh, magic probability here. All right. So, our final poem of season three is going to be an ABAB while we listen to the trailer for Die Hard. Here it is. It's Christmas Eve in LA. California. Well, we'll see what Santa and Mommy can do, okay? A New York cop, John McLean, has come to see his wife. Instead, he's going to have to save her. Sit down. Within this skyscraper high above the city, 12 terrorists have declared war. They're about to be told a lesson in the real use of power. There is brilliant because I am interested in the $640 million in your vault. As they are ruthless. And I'm telling you, you're just going to have to kill me. Okay. We do it the hard way. Now, the last thing McLean wants. Think, damn it, think. Is to be a hero. Where's Howie? Black Tucker! Where? But he doesn't have a choice. What does he think he's doing? <laughs> job. They have already killed one hostage. This channel is reserved for emergency calls only. He's inside? Who is he? Who are you then? You have lost Robertson for a security guard. Sorry, wrong guess, huh? Would you like to go for double jeopardy? Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, mother. Just destroyed a building. I am in charge of this situation. Well, I got some bad news for you. Come up here, that looks like you're in charge of Jack. He is alone, he is tired, and he hasn't seen Disney Squad from anybody down here. Hey, pal, how you feeling? Good old thing, Beanie. I'd rather be in Philadelphia. 
guy to like come out to the coast we'll get together have a few laughs and a hard man to kill bruce willis die hard got invited to the christmas party by mistake who knew all right I don't think I've ever heard the Die Hard trailer before, and I no. <laughs> I found it amusing that they decided to use. Obviously, they didn't play this, but they decided to use the "No fucking shit, lady." Sound like I'm ordering a pizza here. <laughs> that was a because that was such a throwaway line in the movie, but but it got kind of top billing in that trailer. All right, you want to go first? Sure. All right, our ABAB poems celebrating Bruce Willis. I kind of like really went in back to like his Wikipedia page for it. All right. Oh, shit. You did research for this? Oh, of course. Wow. All right. Go for it. (laughs) Okay. First, the man they called Buck Buck on the seat. Oh, wait. No, hold on. It's all like, you know, my writing. I sure do. First, the man they called Buck Buck came on the scene in the 1980s. Bruce Willis smoked like a chimney and swore like a trucker. He supplemented his income bartending at NYC's Kamikaze. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Wow. Very good. Very good. I, I like the punk, uh, the exclamation at the end. The, that was a great final line. I struggled with that and yours was better. <laughs> All right. Here's mine. From Butch Coolidge to John McClane, we celebrate Bruce. His movies all entertain. We're fans and that's the truth. Nice. So, not nice. probably not my best poem, but... But I like how yours was shorter so you could like see the rhymes. As I started like talking, I was like, mm, I, the rhythm fucking I up. listened to a lot of 90s hip hop and R&B growing up. I think that's where it comes from. That's why I have such natural <laughs> rhythm and, and, and rhyming skills, I think. So, it dawned on me as we were sort of teeing this up. We've done an episode, a a season finale wrap-up episode about Michael Bay. We've done one about Ben Affleck. We're doing one about Bruce Willis. So, it's only natural that we start with what? Die Hard? Come on, man. Ben Affleck, (laughs) Bruce Willis, directed by Michael Bay. Oh, Armageddon. Yes, thank you. Oh, my gosh. I thought, well, I was all over the place. I was like, B names, Ben, Bruce, Bay. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not that clever, my friend, but... Armageddon, I think, aside from Die Hard, I would argue that Armageddon is the movie, at least I think of. I wouldn't argue that because it's the truth. But I would argue that in addition to me, it's the movie a lot of people think of when they think of Bruce Willis. I know it's a favorite of yours, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I I definitely like... I said I know it's a favorite, but then I second guess myself halfway through that sentence. So that's why I said it's, right. It's the movie that if somebody asked me what's a movie that would make you cry, number one, there's called there's something called My Life, the Zag Sobieski story. Twenty minutes, ball like a baby every single time. But Armageddon, that final scene, spoiler alert. If nobody saw the movie 25 years ago, the final scene. I don't think between- you even. Need, I don't think you need to give a spoiler alert for this one. This <laughs> one's just on you. If if you get pissed that we're spoiling this, but Bruce Willis with Liv Tyler in the movie, and then Bruce Willis with Ben Affleck in the movie, the moments that he has with those two, and just his overall. If it's not Bruce Willis telling you that he could do this, you're not going to believe it. There's that hilarious thing of Ben Affleck talking behind the scenes of Armageddon, being like, I, you know. 
there's there's holes in the story, the holes in the plot line. The first time I saw Armageddon, I wasn't thinking anything like that because of Bruce Willis's character in the movie. I was like, yeah, I'd follow that man to the asteroid. I'd save the world with Bruce Willis with what's his face? What was his name in it? Captain Harry Stamper. Captain. Yeah, Harry S. Stamper. No, he wasn't Harry a S. captain. Stamper. He was just he was a roughneck. And it, well, first of all, the arguments against this movie are null and void. This is that we talked about this with Michael Bay too. This is not a movie about science. Okay. This is a movie in which you suspend disbelief immediately. And if you don't, you're doing it wrong. You're watching the movie wrong. You are making a mistake. You are, you are failing to watch this movie because once you do suspend that disbelief, this movie is phenomenal. It is exciting. It is emotional on several different levels. It is weirdly accessible because of the human character that Bruce Willis portrays. On one hand, he's essentially a superhero. But on the other hand, he's a very relatable salt of the earth guy. Even if you're not, like I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd consider myself a salt of the earth person, but you empathize with the reasons he's doing what he's doing. And everything that he does in the movie is guided by this this North Star of saving the world. And I, I'm gushing here over this movie. And I think that it, it, it when it came out, it was an event, right? Like we, it came out in 98. So we were sophomores or something. Probably a great first date movie for a lot of people. It was... Aerosmith was on the radio Aerosmith everywhere, the Super Bowl halftime show, all that stuff. Uh, The the This is when, do you remember, like, this is when radio started interjecting sound clips from the movie into the songs. They did it with Titanic. They did it with, what's the... Can we do do one fucking podcast where we don't mention Titanic, please? (laughs) Secret Garden. They did uh, Jerry Maguire. I mean, even the video on MTV was sort of a hybrid of the movie and the band. Well, we we all knew the story, too, of how Aerosmith, they let him, they let Steven Tyler see a little bit of the movie. And so he... He gushed at Bruce Willis and Liv Tyler's performances and wrote, I don't want to miss a thing, watching the relationship of another man with his daughter, a father-daughter relationship. Yes, thank you for clarifying. Thank you for clarifying. (laughs) I was about to jump in with that. And that's the thing that, that really, really gets you at the end of this movie, like you said. The speech that he gives when he is the last one left on the asteroid, he's got to press the button to detonate the nuke and save planet Earth, save the entire planet, the entire world. Billions of people are resting their hopes on this one heroic act and sacrifice. And the speech that he gives to Liv Tyler while she's watching from Earth is, I mean, it's not a speech that if you were going to go audition somewhere, you would use as a monologue. It's not a, a, a particularly eloquent speech, but all the feels that, that you could ever ask for in the climax of a movie are wrapped up in, in what he says. Daddy? Hi, Gracie. Hi, honey. Grace, I know I promised you I was coming home. I don't under- understand. <sighs> Looks like I'm gonna have to break that promise. I am. Um, I lied to you too when I told you that I didn't want to be like you. 
because I am like you. And everything good that I have inside of me, I have from you. I love you so much, Daddy. I'm so proud of you. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. I know it, baby. But there won't be anything to be scared of soon. Tracy, I want you to know AJ saved us. He did. I want you to tell Chick that I couldn't have done it without him. None of it. I want you to take care of AJ. <laughs> I wish I could be there to walk you down the aisle. Get on you from time to time, okay, honey? I love you, Grace. I love you, too. Gotta go now, honey. Daddy, no! No, no, Dad, no! Well, and it's, it's you got like there's you had to pay tribute to the writing, but the fact that he the whole movie is talk about the promise that he made to his daughter, and then he opens up the speech with "I'm gonna have to break that promise," you know, and it's so heartbreaking. You touched on a good thing that's gonna kind of permeate throughout this entire episode, I think. With, good word, good word. Um, his he's like an everyman, right? He's we we see ourselves in him, and I think that's what surprised everybody when he was the one casted as John McClane in Die Hard because they were looking for an action star and they cast the guy from Moonlighting. They cast this guy who's balding, (laughs) who's got unruly chest hair, who looks dirty. He's not together i mean i would i would love to be as buff as him but he's not all together like at it, during the the time of chuck norris and and arnold schwarzenegger and jean-claude van damme and and sylvester stallone he wasn't anything like that and he's the man crawling through the grates and we all as dudes i think looked at him and said i can maybe do that right like i could maybe be that guy i'm never going to be tom cruise as ethan hunt climbing up the side of a building i'm never going to be arnold schwarzenegger at the beginning of beginning of commando walking around with a tree trunk on my shoulder i'm never going to be sylvester stallone with a machine gun in the middle of the woods mowing down a bunch of whoever the fuck he was mowing down <laughs> but i think i could be a sarcastic hating my role in life, Bruce Willis, crawling through vents, wondering how I got into myself in a situation where I'm trying to save my ex-wife, right? Like throughout all of his movies, I think that is the appeal of Bruce Willis and why we don't necessarily like hail him as one of the greatest action stars of all time. But in the same instance, every time that he is on the screen, we're comfortable because I feel like we're also seeing somebody that could kind of, and it's maybe why we kind of shied away from the one diehard where he's jumping on the wings of a jet of a F-14 or whatever, right? Because we're like, I can't do that. Why is Bruce Willis doing that? But we see ourselves in him more so than any other action star out there. So, what you're talking about, I remember when we did the episode for Toy Soldiers, which had the working title Underpants and Meat because (laughs) that was a big part of the movie. But we talked about how in whatever it was, middle school, we both would imagine sort of a diehard situation. And basically, Toy Soldiers was diehard at a school. But we both, our, our, our imaginations kind of went to that 
place where we would be the heroes. And whatever the specifics, it would be us doing the John McClane thing. We we wanted to do that. We wanted to, or, or we, at least we wanted the, the feeling, that heroic feeling that was inspired by this this character that like you said wasn't you know had no reason to succeed really had no you know no magic touch or or you know crazy physique or martial arts skills or whatever it was just a random everyman dude and like you said before it made it accessible and i think that was part of the appeal of his character in armageddon and i'll say it again because it it doesn't piss me off. I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I have to kind of choose my stress and people bagging on Armageddon is not going to cheese me off the way it would have maybe 10 years ago. But if you if you're if you're not enjoying the viewing of of that movie, then you're doing it wrong. And I say that with with love and with willingness to help you figure out how to enjoy that movie because is because it is it is such an enjoyable movie, largely because of what he brings to it. Absolutely. And I think we can, as people are listening to this episode, if you have a favorite Bruce Willis movie that we don't touch upon, our bad, we would love to hear from you. Love to hear about your favorite Bruce Willis movie. We're going to jump around as we see fit in this episode. I do want to, as we talk about his everyman status, when it comes to Armageddon, when it comes to Die Hard and Hudson Hawk and everything that he was, uh, the last Boy Scout, I think part of it, Die Hard is such a good title considering the fact that he doesn't have any superpowers. He doesn't have the muscles. He literally is just a guy that refuses to die in his movies. <laughs> like, that's his only superpower is that he is so nonchalant about all the violence happening around him that the violence doesn't touch him. See, or if the, he gets wounded, he's like, fuck me. You know, like, I, I have sort of mixed feelings about Die Hard 4. Die Hard 5, I don't acknowledge. But mixed feelings about Die Hard 4. One of the things that I loved about that movie was how exhausted he seemed. And not just from the events of the movie, it was almost like the culmination of the 20 years of being John McClane. And at that point, he there, there's a point where he's, I think he's in a car or something and the kid is asking him, well, why are you doing this? And he's just kind of resigned and says, because there's nobody else to do it but me. Tomorrow you, nothing else to complain about? Just... What? What's the matter with you? It's not funny. I'm not like you. I can't. I can't do this shit. You know, what's that mean? Like what? I'm not like like heroic and everything. I'm not, <laughs> not brave like you are. I'm not that guy. Nobody's hero, kid. You saved my life like ten times in the last six hours. It's doing my job. That's all. Uh, you know what you get for being a hero? Nothing. Get shot at. Get a little pat on the back. Blah blah blah. Atta boy. Your wife can't remember your last name. Kids don't want to talk to you. You do a lot of meals by yourself. Just my kid, nobody wants to be that guy. Then why are you doing this? Because there's nobody else to do it right now, that's why. Believe me, if there was somebody else to do it, I would let them do it, but there's not. So we're doing it. That's what makes you that guy. He's just exhausted, but he's like accepting the fact. And so with that, I was willing to give a little more leeway to him, you know, jumping on a Harrier jet and stuff like that. Because it was like him, 
he, he was so exhausted and so beaten down. I mean, if you think of it from a practical standpoint, the toll that all of these movies have taken on John McClane's body over the years, and yet he's still, you know, going. I took that as almost like when he when he does the whole thing at the end with the semi, that was almost like in the in a video game where you get a power up. Like a like a magic mushroom. And, or no, like a what's the one that makes you invincible? The star in Mario Brothers. I felt like <laughs> yes. I was willing to kind of forgive because I felt like, you know what? Throw John McClane a superstar because he he deserves it. He's earned it. And um like I said, the 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 mixed feelings over that movie I had fun watching it. I completely agree with you that some of the the bummer about it was that it lacked a little bit of that everyman. But I think that's also just the evolution of the movie, the world that he lives in. I thought it was great how he was such like a Luddite when it came to technology, but was able to still get the job done. And I thought that for what it was, it was a really good culmination of John McClane. And like it was I said- a good idea. But the I don't think after Die Hard with a Vengeance, Die Hard Four was never gonna never gonna be it, right? Oh, I love. It's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like after Die Hard, Die Hard Two was always gonna be a sophomore effort, <laughs> right? No, I, and and I mean the John McClane character throughout the first three Die Hards, the original Die Hard trilogy was much more spunky and and sarcastic and all those things I think you mentioned before. And that's why it made them kind of cohesive and really sort of outfitted them as a trilogy. When Die Hard 4 came along, I guess it was kind of like a reboot almost. It wasn't technically a reboot, but it was also this version of John McClane that was not the version from the previous three films, but was not a complete overhaul of that that character's sensibilities, that character's abilities, that character's, you know, values and things like that. It was an evolution, I thought. And and people are so picky and fussy when it comes to tampering with an original formula. And I get that. I do. We talked about this during the TMNT episode. But when it's done right, I think it's it's really entertaining. It's it's an upgrade when when there's an upgrade. What do they what do the kids call it? A glow up. It was like John <laughs> McClane had a glow up in Die Hard Four, and then he just well, he shit the bed in Die Hard Five. Because we're here to celebrate the man. I'm just as you're talking, I'm clicking through as much as I can. Live free or die hard. Internet trivia: Bruce Willis's stunt double Larry Rippen Kroger was seriously injured when he fell 25 feet to the pavement. He suffered broken bones in his face and fractured in both wrists. Production was temporarily shut down. Bruce Willis picked up the tab at area hotels for Larry's parents and visited him numerous times in the hospital. I mean, that's... I hate to say this, but I would expect that, or I would hope to expect that from somebody of Bruce Willis's... But he's not like the director or anything no, like that. No, but like, still, I mean... That's just his stunt double. He's like, well, oh, let me take care of you. Yeah, no, and and you're right. That's that's a cool thing. I think for me, it's it's... It's, it's almost like the, the Chris Rock, you want a cookie kind of thing, but it's certainly not, not, it's the exception, not the rule. As someone who's probably done, you know, the, the majority of his movies as action movies, I think, I don't know if there's an actual stat for that, but as someone who appreciates what action movies can do and how big of a part of his career action movies are, it's nice to see him respecting and, and looking out for the stunt people. You know how I feel about stunt people. So that's did mm-hmm. the guy did the guy the guy lived, right? Ribbon Robin yeah. Kruger. Robin. 
what's his name? Larry Rippen Kruger. Rippen Kruger. He then also said that James Kahn would come and visit him in the hospital because he was James Kahn's stunt double, which James Kahn, Bruce Willis. I don't That's know. It's so weird. They look like. nothing alike. <laughs> I know. What kind of stunts? But, uh, what kind of stunts has James Kahn been doing? Were there I think a lot it was st- for his. It said TV show. Were there a lot of stunts in Elf that I don't remember? He was in Las Vegas. That was a good TV show with Timothy Oliphant. He was in. Um, he was in Eraser with <laughs> with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Are we going to talk about Planet Hollywood? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we could. I loved Planet Hollywood. Planet Hollywood that was feels. was just the. Planet Hollywood was such a weird thing if you think about it because it was hard rock but for movies. Well, it was, but also like did we really need our heart is hard rock still around? I don't know, did that go by the wayside too? I feel like it did. I mean, I did like do we really It's not in Cleveland anymore. It, well, I would I'm tempted to say if it's not downtown by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame then there's probably not many more hard rocks, but Mm. The I don't know. And I mean, I guess I get it. But like the fascination of eating a shitty chicken Caesar salad underneath the giant ice cube holding the naked Sylvester Stallone from Demolition Man. Now you can experience all the excitement of Planet Hollywood at home with Planet Hollywood The Game, the new movie game everyone can play in a race against time. Name actors in action movies. Schwarzenegger. Stallone. Yeah. Will. Uh, name movies you've stood in line for. Ghost. Top Gun. The answers are unlimited, but the time isn't. Planet Hollywood, the game, now playing everywhere. Independence Day. Yeah. Oh. It's it's looking back, it's one of those things that, that you kind of are just like, huh, why did I think that was cool? I don't understand. Yeah. But then you got like the very niche audience of Bubba Gump Shrimp and those restaurants are like everywhere. And you go in and it's just Forrest Gump memorabilia. I don't think, I, I wonder, are those still around too? I, I remember there was one yeah. in Times Square and I feel like, I wonder if that has almost like, I wonder if the food's really good there or something and it's transcended the lore of the movie. Maybe not. I don't know. Should we just take like a really popular movie and make a restaurant out of it? Like Boiler oh. Room? Could be a hot pot. Hot, Bo- yeah, hot boiler pot. Boiler Room? The se- boiler like a melting room. Pot seafood oyster bar boiler room <laughs> we totally could we could do we could do street fighter street tacos we could do what are some other good what, ones a bruce willis one the last boy scout cookies oh good one very good mm-hmm. very good <laughs> um, um there could, is one other movie we from could the serve 80s up, that it, well now i'm this is all i'm going to be thinking about but we could serve up chicken parmageddon oh that's good right that's very punny yeah all right that's um, that's the last one i got <laughs> The last movie from the 80s that I want to talk about, because it's not action at all, but it showed off his comedic chops, was he was the voice of Mikey and Look Who's Talking. Fantastic movie. Sequels, eh. But the premise of that movie, I'm surprised that didn't exist earlier. Because as far as I know, babies have been around for quite a long time. And as far as I know... Did you did that just sink in? Like, did you just? No, I had to unmute myself so people could hear me laugh. Oh, see, that was that wasn't <laughs> that was, a sincere that was laugh. Good. That was like a retake of your laugh. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, that's fair. I suppose <laughs> I, I appreciate your honesty, but I can't imagine that pretending to be a baby while you're engaging with a baby is something that just happened in the '80s, and people were like, "Oh, we got to make a movie out of that." So it blows my mind that that concept was not more more mainstream idea wise sooner or maybe it was and it just wasn't executed as well but uh you're absolutely right as i am now a two-time three-time three-time uncle i i cannot tell you how many times i've looked at the the nephews that i have and thought 
to myself, what are they thinking? And usually it's in some sort of Bruce Willis-esque voice. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that was one that I haven't even thought of until you just mentioned it. But And that's probably because it's Bruce Willis's voice rather than him being a part of the cast in the movie, or I guess, what would you call that? He's a, a voiceover. He's not in the, like, not the physical cast. I don't know. I'm rambling. But on anyway, screen. I, he's not on, on screen. screen. There you go. On, on screen cast. Thank you. See, mm-hmm. that's why we're, that's why we, that's why we work well together. <laughs> Simpatico. You're, you, you, you make up for what I lack and I appreciate that. Um, what did you love about Look Who's Talking? I, his quotes are the, like, there's John Travolta and Christy Alley, which, fi- like, I was never on that boat watching the movie. Cause when it came out in 89, I was seven years old. So it was the babies talking and everything that made me laugh. I didn't care about these two old dudes trying to hook up. And maybe, and I think even when I watch the movie now, I still don't care about that part. When I am cold outside in the Cleveland winter, I have Bruce Willis's voice in my head when he is first birthed. And he goes, put me back in, put me back in. Help, help, help. Oh, no. Put me back in, put me back in. Please, buddy, let go of my head and put me back inside. Ah, I love just his lines in general and his voice. And you go, this literally was the movie right after Die Hard. So it is, I don't know who his agent was or manager at the time, but the the career choices he was making were incredible. To go from Die Hard to the voice of a baby instantly, amazing. It's kind of like the, the leap that Arnold took. I'm talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger when mm-hmm. he went from all the action movies to Kindergarten Cop and then Stallone tried to do it with Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, which didn't work out so well. No. Uh, but you're right. I, it was, so, this was a movie. So, th- so Die Hard was what? Die Hard was 88? Die Hard was 88. And this was what, 89? Yes. Wow, I didn't realize that they were so close together, but that's really interesting because you're right. It's I, I would never I wouldn't I wouldn't call Bruce Willis a comedic genius, I suppose, but to be able to go from or, or to I, I don't even know what it would be. Is it balls? Is it guts? Is it like savvy to go from this action juggernaut movie and say, I'm going to go make a comedy now? It's like, it's like he about was- About babies. About baby. <laughs> and I'm not even going to be in it. I'm going to be, it's going to be my voice. It was like, maybe he, maybe he really believed that he was just bulletproof and went with it. And, and it, it was a gamble that paid off. So I had that, to be, do something with like the TV show Moonlighting, which I never watched. Oh, me neither. Um, I don't- I don't know shit about he, Moonlighting. He was 1985 to 1989, 66 episodes, um, and apparently a, an obnoxious character, so much so that he took it home with him a little of the time. One of his IMDb trivia was talking about that he was so much like his Moonlighting character that the Hollywood elite would throw him out of their parties. Bodily, it says bodily throw him out. <laughs> oh, shit. Been there. Because he courtside, was- <laughs> Courtside pizza, Athens, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. 
So he was thrown out of parties because he was too much like that character. And I guess, you know, then he did Die Hard, became a big action star, and then he became the voice of a baby. So now might be a good time to sort of break up our rambling a little bit with one of our special guests. We mentioned at the beginning of the episode that we have sort of a revolving door of special guests who come in and jaw with us about the movies that we discuss and... None of them could actually be with us while we were recording today, but they all wanted to pay tribute to Bruce Willis. And so they recorded the, themselves. I don't actually, I haven't heard any of this, so it might be complete shit. But what I, I doubt that, what I imagine is there are going to be three very unique tributes and speeches and toasts, I suppose, to Bruce Willis. So let's start off with our first one, our one of our favorite guests, Jeremy, talking about Bruce Willis. Okay, Bruce Willis. I have a lot that I could say about Bruce Willis. Starting all the way in the 80s, you know, Moonlighting. What a show that was. It's kind of been forgotten in a lot of ways because I don't think it was a show that was really around a lot in syndication and certainly is nowhere on streaming. I've been looking for it and can't find it. And that's a shame because I think that is a show that people would latch on to today big time. If it ended up on Netflix or somewhere, people would definitely get on board with it because it was funny. It was engaging. It was entertaining. Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard had great chemistry, great rapport. And Al Jarreau's theme song, still one of the great 80s theme songs. Really hope that one day that show lands on streaming somewhere. But uh, when Die Hard came out, it was such a shock because Bruce Willis was not seen as, as an action hero, certainly. And this is the 80s. This is the era of Stallone and Schwarzenegger and movies like Commando and Rambo and Terminator. You know, these heroes were infallible. They were killing machines. They were you know, jacked up muscular guys. Uh, Bruce Willis was, an, was uh, you know, a, an everyman. He was an average everyday guy. And um, nobody could understand how he could be a, a star of an action movie. But lo and behold, he proved everybody wrong and i would argue of all of those 80s films you know even even the big ones die hard is the one that that has endured the 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 longest and the strongest and that everybody knows die hard everybody's seen die hard it's a rite of passage there's obviously now the whole christmas movie debate like die hard is in the culture in, in a huge way. And certainly, you know, Terminator is too, and Rambo, yes. But I feel like Die Hard is a, is a different beast altogether. And, you know, it changed action movies completely. Like, the, the hero could suddenly be vulnerable. The hero could um, not want to be in the situation that he's in. What Die Hard did was change movies, change action movies, change the way heroes were portrayed, change the way villains were portrayed. Alan Rickman's Hans Gruber character, you know, was a new template for villains which is still, I think, you know, something that is in place today. So it was huge. I mean, that movie it can't be stressed enough what a game changer it was. And everybody liked Die Hard. I was working in a movie theater uh, in high school back in, the, in those days, and uh, there was an old Italian usher there at the theater. Uh, this is the 80s, so he was probably born in the you know the 20s or earlier and he was he was an older guy and he loved die hard you know old man who came who came in the up in the era probably of like jimmy cagney or whatever and, and boy did he love die hard his only thing was he he somehow got confused and thought that bruce willis's character in the movie was named die hard so whenever he talked about the movie he'd be like oh my god the scene at the end where die hard is standing up on top of the building and he swings on the fire hose Oh, it's unbelievable. 
Marvel. Well, then did you see when Die Hard comes downstairs and, they, and he's got the gun hidden behind the Christmas tape? Oh, that was great. So he talked about Die Hard all the time, but to this day, I still sometimes I find myself referring to Bruce Willis as Die Hard, thanks to uh, thanks to that old that old Usher. But yeah, that movie changed everything for for movies uh, for action movies, and it was huge. And it you know, obviously made Bruce Willis, uh, rightfully so, a huge star. And then you know his career had had its ups and downs, but I always enjoyed his movies. You know, even the lesser films like uh, let's say Striking Distance, for example, uh, not a great movie by any stretch, but he i i saw it in theaters and i i did find myself enjoying it because of bruce willis because what he brought to all of his characters was his likability this charm this sort of sense of like knowing like hey maybe this we all know this isn't great but let's have some fun and there was always that sense i think in in his in certainly in his action movies and then of course there's all the um the dramas that he did and and again he's a great actor uh pulp fiction sixth sense unbreakable you know he he always was uh brought a lot of, of depth and gravity and and um uh intensity to his roles and i think that it's a shame because i think of, of a lot of those 80s action guys he's the one who i think had the best chance of of winning an oscar and, and then that never happened unfortunately it's really it's too bad that he never landed on that one role that really you know caught people's attention and said oh bruce willis he's 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 the guy and giving him an oscar because he certainly deserved it i think and he he definitely was uh, a great actor and then um bruce willis lived in bedford new york for a time where my mother-in-law lives and uh they have a carnival there every year and uh bedford for those who don't know is kind of uh, this little haven of sorts for a lot of celebrities they have houses there tim robbins and susan sarandon lived there for a time glenn Close, Michael Crichton had a house there, Chevy Chase, Christopher Reeve lived in Bedford, Richard Gere, goes on and on and on. A lot of people um, had bought houses up there. So uh, at, so every year they had this carnival, and uh, oftentimes you would see celebrities there, and it sort of just became a thing. I mean, nobody really you know, did too much about it, or didn't, you know, it was just you know, par for the course. You'd see, you'd be online for the Dizzy Dragons and Richard Gere would be ahead of you, or you know, you'd be waiting to buy some fried Doe and like Glenn Close and her family was there, but nobody made too much of a big deal about it. Uh, and I think that's why celebrities liked Bedford because you know people didn't get phased by that stuff. So lo and behold, one year we're online for the roller coaster or whatever, and Bruce Willis is there. And now for me, now I'm like, oh my god, it's Bruce Willis! Like Die Hard, Die Hard is here, you know. And so I remember texting, like, oh my god, Bruce Willis is here, and he just wrote back picture like and not that he was asking for proof i think he said you got to get a picture with bruce willis and i agreed i wanted a picture with bruce willis but i went through uh, so now like i'm sitting here and like my brain and my body are separate and i'm like my body's walking around the carnival doing carnival things with my family but in my brain i'm having a whole conversation do i go up to bruce willis do i say anything what do i say do i ask for a picture do i just shake his hand and say thank you for being awesome so finally the conclusion i came to was i don't want to do anything that's going to ruin bruce willis for me in my mind like i don't want to have a bad experience more importantly i didn't want to bother him when he's with he's with his family he's just trying to enjoy the carnival the last thing he needs is you know a middle-aged dad coming up being like remember when you jumped out of the building with the fire hose I was so cool. Like it would just, he would annoy him and it would bother him, and and then he would be mad, and then he, I would feel terrible, and then Die Hard would be ruined. So I said, you saw him, awesome, let it go. 
but my son, who you know I try to raise well, was also a fan of Bruce Willis. He he had, he had seen Die Hard by that point. He was fifteen. Uh, he had seen Armageddon, and I didn't even talk about Armageddon. What a great movie that was too. And so he'd seen his movies. So he was he wanted to go up to him. So I was like, well, I think if you went up to him, he might appreciate that more than if I did. Because if I do, I'm just another dude who saw Die Hard when he was a teenager and still can't get over it. And that that, that might annoy him. But if a, a young guy, a young kid came up to him, that might make him feel like, hey, I still got it. Like, I'm, I'm still relevant. And so he might appreciate that more. So... I said, go up to him. Don't, you know, wait till like his kids are on a ride or something. And he's by himself. So you, you're not bothering him when he's with his wife and kids. And so he kind of, he took that opportunity, went up to him. And Bruce Willis couldn't have been nicer. I sort of stood off to the distance. Like I, I didn't want to, you know, crowd his space. But I saw he was super friendly, uh, very appreciative, took a picture, like just a nice guy. And, you know, my son made it fast, didn't, didn't hover around, shook his hand, took his picture, and off he went. So for me, I had, I've had interactions with all three of the kind of holy trinity of 80s action, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and Bruce Willis. Uh, Schwarzenegger, nice guy, super professional, maybe a little bit aloof, but he was a nice guy, like a pro. But uh, I wouldn't say that like we had developed a rapport or anything like that. Stallone was a jerk, a diva, a problem, and almost cost me my job. His publicist is a horrible human being. And uh, so Stallone is a jerk. So the only one who came out squeaky clean, perfect, was Bruce Willis. He treated my son with kindness, and he was a really great guy. And we still have the picture. And um, so, Bruce Willis, thank you. Thank you for all the entertainment that you gave us. Thank you for making Die Hard and changing movies. Um, in the words of, of Al the Usher, thank you for being Die Hard. And all the best to you and to your family. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. yippee ki motherfucker, now and forever. All right. So, that was a nice tribute. While I want you to know that while that was playing, I snuck off to the bathroom and I went in and my, I walked past my wife on the way there, went in, shut the door, thought to myself, then opened the door and said, welcome, said, welcome to the potty, pal. Nobody got it. <laughs> like a lead balloon. Nobody got it. Nobody got it in the house. Not the dogs, not the cats. Nobody. The, the point you just made as we were listening to Jeremy, you said that, how did you phrase it? Bruce Willis has never- I was like- you- I was I was going through his IMDb and I was like, you know, he's never been young to me. Right. <laughs> he's always been like, oh man. That's something that's that's and that's a real that's a real thing. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who I feel like that about. And I mean, I guess it makes sense because we I mean, we first experienced him when he obviously was, you know, a, a Hollywood leading man, but it's not so much the the age, it's more like the aura. Right, like always, been a grown up. When you see older footage of like Tom Cruise, he's recognizable as like a young man, a young like a kid. Bruce Willis, I don't think I could say that about him, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I feel like it's kind of good because it gives him this like gravitas, this like authority. I think like even like because I think what I'm thinking about is somebody like Clint Eastwood, who's an old man now. Mm -hmm. We saw him as a young buck in like his Western days where with the old people that we see now, if we could revisit them, James Kahn, for example, because he came up in this episode, old man today, we watched him as young Sonny in The Godfather. Okay. 
where Bruce Willis has always been an old man, just then he not like I don't I don't want to say it like that. He's always been forty. Yeah. He went from forty to fifty and that's it. <laughs> like because as I'm going through the IMDB, we'll get into movies again, but we're the next movie I want to talk about is The Last Boy Scout in the nineties. From ninety one to let's say ninety five. With 12 monkeys, Bruce Willis has gone from 40 Bruce Willis to like 50 Bruce Willis. And that's where he stays for like the rest of his career. So, there's no, what you're saying is there's no in between. He's either 40 or he's 50 and that's it. Correct. Okay. So, he, um, he tops out at 50, which is actually, that's pretty awesome for, I mean, like I would take that <laughs> if that, if that yeah. was an option. <laughs> and then and then there's no... There's nothing past that. It's just that that's his bookend. <laughs> so, the next movie I want to talk about is The Last Boy Scout, which is a Shane Black film. Shane Black, who did The Long Kiss Goodnight, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Predators. He was in Predator 1. Lethal Weapon was his franchise that he started. He wrote a Lethal Weapon 2, which they're now, I think, trying to work on again. Wasn't they, that the one that got real dark? Like where, isn't there like yes. a, an un, no, not unabridged, unauthorized lethal weapon where like Murtaugh kills Riggs or something? It's not that, but it's something. No, like no, real, Riggs kills himself at the end of oh, it. Oh yeah. Okay. Something really dark like that. He introduced Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci's character who the studios loved and mm-hmm. loved the comedy of it. And so they went more toward the Joe Pesci character and didn't have Riggs kill himself, even though Shane Black was saying all throughout the first movie. Movie, all he talks about is I just want to bite a bullet, Marta. That horrible fucking Mel Gibson. No, that was great, but- Mel Gibson. I forgot <laughs> what I'm going to miss most when we take a bit of a breather is the impressions. <laughs> but so that's Shane Black. The Last Boy Scout has Shane Black's best work in it. It's got it's a buddy detective story of two men riffing off of each other. There's also a shit-talking kid in it, which is Shane Black's forte. Shane Black also did Last Action Hero, Mm. which we've talked about Mm -hmm. this season, right? Like, shit-talking kid to an action hero. Bruce Willis acting off of his daughter in the film is some of the best parts. And then Damon Wayans, this is his best film, I think, to date. I would argue that Billy Blanks' best performance is also at the beginning of this movie, right? (laughs) Yep. Yep. Ain't life a bitch. Yeah. The, last the original boy- line was supposed to be, I'm going to Disney World. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, I bet I bet that didn't last past a screening or two. Hey, Joe, she's got your winning personality. You get used to it. Darren, I got some ice cream out here. You want some? Leave me alone. I hate you. She's pissed off because I wouldn't let her go out on a date with her friend Tommy. I only missed the best party of the year. Why didn't you let her go? Because she's 13 years old, jerk off. You want some of this ice cream or not? I'm not talking to you. Oh, that's a shame. I'm gonna miss all those pleasant things you always say to me. Hey, Dad, I hate you. It's chocolate chip, your favorite. I don't care. You're an asshole. You know how I hate to waste food. You want to abuse me some more? Shock me. Come on, I hardly ever hear the word asshole. Oh, bullshit! Hey, that's Bet enough. you get it all the time. That's enough, Darian. Oh, yeah, what are you going to do, ground me some more? You want it, you got it. Yes, sir, asshole. You're grounded for a week. Just leave me alone! Hey. You know, he thinks he's fucking war clear! Hey, you want to talk like a trash mouth? 
Huh? You want to sound like your mother? Go ahead. It's bad enough that I'm going to hear this shit all day long. I got to come home and get it from you, too? Hey, Joe, why don't you go easy on the girl, man? You don't tell me how to talk to my kid. So come on, let me hear. Let me hear all the really juicy, dirty words. Come on. God, you're such a fuck-up. Darian, you are my daughter, and you are in my house, and you will respect me. You got that? You don't ever call me a fuck-up. Why shouldn't I? Mom calls you in all the time. Your mother called me a fuck-up? When? On the phone with Uncle Jay. Uncle Jay? Oh, Christ, I'm a fuck-up. But Uncle Jay, now there's a real stand-up guy. The bastard cheats on his tax return. I'm surprised he's not doing time. Why don't you go ask your mother why Mr. Wonderful is not in jail for tax evasion? Because he doesn't fuck up. Darian. Go to bed. Most of the movies that we talk about on here, I've seen over and over and over again, unless it's a movie that was brought to my attention specifically for the show. Last Boy Scout, I have only seen once, and it was a long, long time ago for no other reason than I just got busy with other stuff, I guess. But it's a movie that, again, it's like a, this is this that was his first kind of foray into like the buddy cop territory. Right. Yeah. But this was, I think Bruce Willis's best work is his hangover work. Like when ah, he yeah. is pretending to be hungover and everything. And the last Boy Scout is one of those. Sure. It opens with him sleeping in a car and then a bunch of kids throw a roadkill squirrel on him. Right. Because he's so passed out. And mm-hmm. then he grabs one of the kids and shoves a gun in his face <laughs> yeah. when he wakes up. I'm not Problematic. Sure. But the way that that kid screams <laughs> is so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Problematic is a good word to describe. It. And you're right about the hangover. I remember specifically from Die Hard with a Vengeance. That was a yes. very relatable hangover performance that he gives in the beginning of that movie. He plays drunk so well because the next movie that I want to talk about is Death Becomes Her. And he's got an amazing end monologue to that one where he's drunk. Did you see Death Becomes Her? I was going to say, I'm not even going to fake this one. I have never seen that movie. So, Spro, here on Second Chance Cinema, Tell me why I should enjoy that movie. All right. Death Becomes Her, one, has Meryl Streep in it, which we all know is one of the greatest actresses to ever live, who is playing off of, uh, what's her, (laughs) Goldie Hawn. I was going to say Kate Hudson's mother. Goldie Hawn. It's fair. The premise of the movie is super cool because Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep are getting old and they are not liking themselves. And this is 1992. So Botox isn't something that just comes to your house and injects your forehead. They want to look young. There's this woman out there. She knows how to do it through a potion. The problem is, is you're never going to die. And Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn are fighting over Bruce Willis to the point that they try to kill each other, but they can't kill each other. Spoiler, I don't want to spoil everything. The comedy is there. One of them takes a shotgun, blows a hole through the other one's waist. And then another one trips the other one down a flight of stairs. So she breaks her neck. So now they're pretty much like zombies walking around because they can't die. And so they're just coating themselves in makeup. And Bruce Willis, the man that they're fighting over, who's a doctor, is going insane because now two zombies are in love with him. It's hilarious. The whole movie, fucking funny. Practical effects, which I know you love. Yeah, go check it out. I am in awe that that is what that movie's about. I've heard the movie, I've heard of it, and I assumed, I don't know, that it was just going to be like that that Death Becomes Her was like some poignant title about the film and it was going to be like a heavy movie like Beaches or some shit. <laughs> but it's it's really about 
<laughs> two zombies fighting over Bruce Willis. It sold. <laughs> I'm going to have to check yeah. this out. So, so like there's a part in it where Bruce Willis is talking to a doctor because they think his wife is dead, even though she's immortal. He's like, where did you put my wife? And the doctor says, she's dead, sir. They took her to the morgue. He's like, the morgue? She'll be furious. And he like runs down the hallway. <laughs> ah, see this movie. We have to talk. Why don't you have another drink and go to bed? You'd like that, wouldn't you, Madeline? You'd like to see me drink myself into an early grave. That is not going to happen. My God, that is not going to happen. You are not going to take my money! Whoa, what are you talking about? It was the last time you worked, Madeline. I mean, a real job. Anything you had left, you owed me a long time ago. Your face owed me. You changed your hair. <laughs> what an eye. Don't wait up. What did you say? I called you cheap, Madeline, because that's what I think of you. Who do you think you're, you're talking cheap, to? You're a tacky little tramp who every week becomes less and less who do like you the woman that I married are. and more and more you're like a broad. Nothing. Yes, you are broad. You are nothing. That's what I called you. You're a tragic, boozy, flaccid clown. Watch that's it, it, Flaccid. Watch what you say, man. Flaccid. Watch what you say, man. I don't have to take this anymore. I don't have to take this any longer. Oh, yeah, you'll take it. You'll take everything I have to give. You always have. You're not even a man anymore, and I need a man. A real man, not some drunken, broken-down, flaccid undertaker who is just as dead below the waist as his clients are. <laughs> hey, I might have more fun with one of your clients. At least I'd know I'd be getting something stiff in there. I will definitely check it out. I had, like I said, this is... The best episodes are when I learn things about movies that I did not know existed, whether or not we're talking about them specifically for that episode or just in passing. And that was a, that was a treat. I look forward to that. (laughs) What do we have next? Let's obviously we've talked about this at the beginning. We can't do every Bruce Willis movie because there are just too many. He is a prolific actor in every sense of the word. Um, So we're going to have to pick and choose pretty carefully. What, what comes up next? Well, see, that's the thing. That's why I was looking at the IMDb. Gloss over it real quick. 1994, he is all over Entertainment Weekly and Entertainment Tonight and everything because he's about to do a movie called Color of Night, which is a sexy, sexy, sex scenes throughout the whole movie. Movie doesn't get good reviews, kind of campy. I feel like it was one of those things that put a dip in his career, right? That's how I remember it. But then 1994, Pulp Fiction comes out. So in the same year (laughs) that I'm thinking, oh, that's where his career took a kind of slide. No, no, no. This man is like back up at the top of the charts in the Quentin Tarantino film that is probably one of Quentin Tarantino's most praised films. And he it's broken down into four storylines and he takes over one of them. So Bruce Willis, I don't think ever really had a dip when he was on top. So I remember Pulp Fiction. Maybe I'm thinking of Travolta was Pulp Fiction Travolta's big comeback. Yeah. Well, the whole casting of because I don't think I've ever heard of Uma Thurman before Pulp Fiction. And then she skyrocketed to Poison Ivy fame. That's true. And my super (laughs) ex-girlfriend, I think. Or something like that. Kill Bill. uh, Right. There was also (laughs) that little movie called Kill Bill. Don't forget uh, Gattaca also. And what was the Ben Affleck one where he 
can't remember things. <laughs> it's a terrible summary. That's <laughs> <laughs> a terrible, ter- terrible elevator pitch. Uh, paycheck. Paycheck. John Woo. Yeah. Okay. I guess I didn't really know. I didn't see Pulp Fiction when it came out in the theaters. I wasn't. I don't know if I was not cool enough or what. Or I maybe well, it was ninety four. So yeah. I mean, maybe I wasn't allowed to see rated R movies then or whatever. Saw it years and years and years later after the hype machine and all the awards and stuff like that, and kind of I enjoyed it for sure. But but also like I said, was a kind of a victim of the hype machine. But I remember the Bruce Willis character being the one that I was, that I, I don't want to say that I related to most, but the one whose motivations I understood the most, like where he goes back to get the watch. And then of course they cut to the Christopher Walken speech or where he doesn't take the dive that he's supposed to and all that. He was like this badass, but he was also very, very three-dimensional. And maybe that's why the movie was so, I mean, there were, there were a couple characters that were like that. And maybe that's why the movie was so well received. But for me, I would say, I can't think of a character I liked more than him, I guess, in that movie. And the fact that he, the fact that he, he chooses a katana sword from the, the showcase in um, Zed's shop over all the other weapons I thought was pretty awesome. Up until Pulp Fiction in 94, I don't think a bad actor can hide in a Quentin Tarantino film because of some Ah, of the long takes. Interesting. And I think this is where Bruce Willis really shows, you know, he could do comedy, he could do action, but it's in Pulp Fiction. It's in the scene in the back of the taxi cab after the fight when he's taking off his gloves and he's talking to the cab driver and she's telling him that the other man died. I think it's that scene where Bruce Willis is showing that the man can take a stage. Has he ever done any any like Broadway or anything like that? Uh, yes, he was actually... Oh, and now that you brought it up, you just made me sad. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Why? What did they do? I So, you didn't do anything. Um, last year, on my 26 challenges of New Year's Day, I put to go see a Hollywood celebrity on stage in New York because they will do Broadway shows occasionally, right? I ended up going to see American Buffalo with Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Rockwell, and Darren Chris, which was amazing. Rocketed Sam Rockwell up on my actor list. But I put it on there because Bruce Willis was the James Caan character in the Broadway premiere of Misery. Really? And I thought that would have been amazing uh-huh. to see Bruce Willis playing the, he wasn't, I guess, temporarily paralyzed writer in Misery. That's awesome. I didn't. I, and it was Roseanne's sister that played the Kathy Bates role. There are so many Broadway adaptations that I don't know exist. I, that's, <laughs> is there a Broadway version of Street Fighter? Oh, maybe. That's probably, that's probably off Broadway. You probably have to go to like <laughs> Brooklyn or somewhere to see that. I do. My buddy, Queen Nguyen, um, he was one of my mentors in the playwriting field. He started a theater company called Vampire Cowboy. And the the whole gist of it was martial arts on stage, a lot of stage combat. And it blew up. He had one in New York City. He has one in LA. He was one of the writers behind Raya and the Last Dragon. Oh, sweet. So, good shit. That's awesome. Little segue, if you're yeah. in New York or LA, check out Vampire Cowboy Theater. Plug. <laughs> What's next on our, our Bruce Willis 
docket. So that's what I'm saying where there's no dip because next year he comes out with Die Hard with a Vengeance, which we've kind of talked about, but I don't think we've really celebrated the fact of how amazing that movie is, not only for its comedy, but the way that him and Samuel L. Jackson play off each other and also approach the issue of race in a comedic way. I don't think I've ever seen before 1995 and Die Hard with a Vengeance. There, there's racial movies, to be sure. There's absolutely Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing and everything. But the way Samuel L. Jackson and Bruce Willis joked about it on screen, I think, was was a conversation starter. Can't start, start over. over. Can't, can't start over. Put my foot up your ass, you dumb mother. Say it. Say it. Oh. You were going to call me weren't you? No, I wasn't. Yes, you were. Why were you going to call me? Asshole. How's that? Asshole. You got some fucking problem with me because I'm white, Zeus? Is that it? Huh? Have I oppressed you? Have I oppressed your people somehow? I'll tell you what your problem is. You don't like me because you're a racist. What? You're a racist. You don't like me because I'm white. I think what what sells it in that movie, and, and we skipped over Die Hard 2, which I think is is forgivable only because it. I wouldn't say it was a shameless cash grab as for the first one, but it was more of like a transition from in between the first one and the third one. I think... Of all the three original diehards in the trilogy, it's probably you. I would I would argue it's unanimously the 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 weakest one. Doesn't mean it's not awesome. It's got the naked general at the beginning doing his tai chi in the mirror. It's got a <laughs> sweet cameo from Robert Patrick. It's got John, a shout out to Cleveland. Yeah, it's got John Amos getting sucked into a jet engine. It's it's all good stuff. But you're right about Die Hard with a Vengeance. It took the buddy cop formula and it kind of it it. It, it twisted it into this really dynamic relationship in which both of the, e- even though one of the guys was a cop, even though one of the guys was technically the main character and a hero or, and the hero of the movie and the hero of the, the, un- the Die Hard universe, they were both equal the whole time. I think is what sells it for me. They were both trading jabs back and forth. There was never a time when McLean, you know, said something that that uh, Zeus wasn't able to, Samuel L. Jackson wasn't able to counter. And there wasn't anything that either of them said or that either of them uh, implied that wasn't true or accurate or in some way a scraping away of, of the layers of, not just their characters, but of the environment and the, you know, society at the time. It's a really, really smart, subversively smart action movie. Well, you also got the bad guy who's got an accent, right? And so he's kind of attacking <laughs> the American ideals. And so then it's black and white America coming together to defeat. <laughs> I never thought a of foreign it like terrorists. That. I mean, I never, I guess I never thought of it like that. Um, it was, it was, it, and it's weird because he, uh, Jeremy Irons, who, well, Amazing. my favorite role of his is Scar, obviously, from The Lion mm-hmm. King. But Hans Gruber set the bar for, for Die Hard villains. No no disrespect to Timothy Oliphant in Die Hard 4 and whoever the Russian guy was in Die Hard 5. But I think, <laughs> I think they, if there's one thing that's lacking about Die Hard with a Vengeance, and it's through no fault of anyone, it's just that the villain is not Hans Gruber. But they tried to tie him with Hans Gruber by making him Hans's brother. And that almost seemed kind of like a crutch to me. I remember I remember being sort of 
Um, what's the word? I remember I remember when they reveal it in the movie, like when they're in the van and he says, Does the name Gruber mean anything to you, McLean? And then he says, This is Simon Gruber. He's Hans Gruber's brother. And you're you kind of do the gasp. But then you're sort of like, um, that's a little convenient, right? I mean, he's out for revenge, but he also wants to rob the Federal Reserve. Like there's a lot to unpack with that with that character. And that was maybe the one thing that I thought was kind of unnecessary, I suppose. I would have been cool if they just made him some dude who wants to rob the Federal Reserve and blows up the subway to do it. Like that was great. That was that yeah. was that was great. They could have just edited it out, I think. Because even with that, where they're like does the last name Gruber, they have that little flashback moment mm-hmm. of Alan Rickman falling off the mm-hmm. roof. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> just to remind you who that was. And that's the and thing, too. It was almost to like, I, I almost feel like there was a test screening where people were like, huh, what What does that mean? And so they were like, we have to, oh, let's let's splice in the, the, the iconic image of Hans falling off the building. But I, that's a what? small nitpick. It was, it's a great movie. Bruce Willis was fantastic. His best hangover performance I think I've ever seen. Um, and the one that, the one that I relate to the most on those rare occasions when I do still drink enough to get hung over. And like you said, the dynamic between him and Samuel L. Jackson is very fresh and unique and still holds up some 20 years later. Have you ever chewed aspirin? God, no, that's disgusting. (laughs) You're right. Uh, That's absolutely disgusting. I would, man, I take a lot of medicine, bro. Like I take, uh, (laughs) I am, I am on quite the cocktail of SSRIs and letting a pill sit in my mouth too long is something that I, I would, I would cut off my own toe to, (laughs) to avoid doing that. If, if there ever came a situation in which that was the answer, because it is a, it is a very discernible, awful, caustic taste that, a pill dissolving too early in your mouth can produce. And so when you even just said that, when she hands him the aspirin and you hear him kind of crack it like a smarty in his mouth, that <laughs> is uncomfortable for me. That, is, that is up there. Now that you mentioned it, that is up there with the scene in Home Alone where Kevin is outside and then gets scared and runs into the bed with his boots still on and pulls the covers over them. Jesus. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I thought you were going to say like when he slips down the concrete steps and hits his tailbone on every step down the way. Could give two that, shits about that. When he gets into that bed. That inflames the back of my thighs. When he gets into bed with shoes on, dirty shoes, <laughs> boots, and pulls the covers over them. Ugh, that is that is just savage and primitive and disgusting. So, oh. I do have two confessions All right. to make. What are we talking about? About Bruce Willis. Okay. One, there's a lot of times I don't do you do this? If I see a movie and I'm really engaged in the movie, usually it's when I see a movie in a movie theater alone. But I will walk out of that movie and have like some of the character trait of the main character still in my psyche on the drive home. It's usually gone by the time I leave the parking lot. But say I went to go see Baby Driver or something where the man is a fast driver out of a bank, you know, high situation. When I get in my car, I feel like I need to go really fast. <laughs> like, I feel like I have that. Do you have that? Are you, were, at all? were you one of the douchebags revving their engine after Fast and Furious? 
back. No, because I can't. <laughs> I don't like the Fast and Furious. Um, but, I know what you mean. Um, I mean, I I can't say whether or not a movie has ever motivated me like to a, drive fast, but I definitely know what you mean. I mean, if it's a good performance, I mean, you know, look at all the people who came out of Dark Knight and thought they were the Joker, or you know, like look at all the fucking people coming out pretending to be Borat and stuff like that. I realize what you're talking about is a little more subtle and kind of meta, but I think that's just the mark of like a good engaging movie. Say a detective story, you come out of the detective story, you scan the parking lot for anything that might come up, right? It's just very subtly, you can't turn the movie off as quickly in the brain as just getting out of your seat and leaving it. As long as it's a good movie. It doesn't happen with every movie. I'm, I, you, you, your imagination might be way, way, way more powerful than mine because what I thought you were going to say is when you come out of a detective movie and you feel feel like you're really good at solving riddles <laughs> like, like you could you could win the fuck out of a sudoku puzzle before before the traffic light changes that's where i thought you were gonna go i was not anticipating no. looking for threats in the parking lot but again bruce ben bay again again bruce ben bay. again that's why i love that's why I love these discussions because I learn new things all the time. I know that if we ever go see a detective movie together, you'll have my back. If another crackhead, so if another crackhead runs through my yard during the middle of the day, all I have to do is call up Detective Spro. <laughs> There's character traits that I see in the male actors in movies that I kind of go, ooh, I like that. I, I want to do that. And so, obviously, with this podcast, I watch movies that go under the radar that people don't necessarily like. So, I started cracking my neck like Robert De Niro in The Fan. Wow. Because <laughs> I, I liked how badass that looked. Sometimes I talk out of the corner of my mouth like Christian Slater from Broken Arrow. And... <laughs> There are times when, you know, when somebody is lying to you or just talking bullshit, I will purse my lips like Bruce Willis of like, fuck is this guy talking about? See, that so, that makes a little more sense to me the way you explain it. Because I think we, we all have our, like our go-to quotes or our go-to, it's like reaction gifts. When you send somebody a reaction gif like to describe the situation or like a picture that that shows what your face might look like or something like that. Like for me, I've told you this before. It's the scene from Batman Forever. Is that the third one? Batman Forever where mm -hmm. at the end, the Riddler and Two-Face come in and tear up the mansion and they shoot Bruce Wayne in the head and they destroy the Batmobile and they blow up the Batcave and they take Nicole Kidman and then Bruce Wayne gets knocked unconscious. He wakes up and as soon as he wakes up, Alfred's like, Master Wayne, they've they've destroyed the Batmobile. They've ruined the Batcave. They've shattered all of your weapons and the mansion is ruined. They, Master Dick has run away and they've taken Dr. Meridian and then he pauses and he goes, and there's another riddle. Like, of course, one more thing. I think that 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 one, if, if I'm understanding what you're talking about, that one resonates with me the most because you'll be having a shitty day and then it's like when it rains, it pours and in my head, I think, and there's another riddle. Fuck you, Riddler. <laughs> so... On that note, with Die Hard with the Vengeance, I cannot take a bite out of a hard-boiled egg without saying, you forgot to take forgot the safety to take catch the off. Safety Forgot to take safety cut. Uh, yeah, how did he... I, well, I guess that was a pretty big whatever ocean liner, so they probably had stoves on that 
I was going to say, did he like pack that in his pocket like the guy from Cool Runnings? No, he picked that up from Speedway. Man, Come on, yeah, I guess so. All right, what do we got next? <laughs> well, Actually, I think we can I, jump into another guest yeah, because I was just 12 say, Monkeys is coming up. I was going to say, let me suggest what we have next because we have another special tribute from a, a, a friend of the show, Lee, Lee Charles of Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, which I believe the acronym so, Satolta, Sotol, so, what is it? Saltota. I say it like Antonio Banderas. Right. Saltota. Or Wilmer uh, Valderrama. He mentioned specifically that he was going to talk about one of the movies that's coming up, 12 Monkeys. So, here is Lee talking uh, about why he digs Bruce Willis. I remember my parents watching Moonlighting. They loved that show, but I was way too young when it was on. But that was the first place I ever saw Bruce Willis. And then, I mean, I of course I remember Die Hard. Die Hard was like, Die Hard and Predator were the two coolest action flicks I'd ever seen in my life. And so when they announced Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and that John McTiernan was coming back to direct it, I was all over it. And this was at a time when I was getting to see R-rated movies in the theater. My mom had gotten to the point where she wasn't on my case about it anymore. In fact, if I wanted to go see something and it was R-rated, she would buy me a ticket and sign it so that if anybody you know, came looking for underage kids, I could flash them my, my mother's signature. But uh, 12 Monkeys was um, a little bit after Die Hard with a Vengeance. And this was another one that I still have the ticket stuff for, and it still has my mother's signature on it. And it was directed by Terry Gilliam. And the reason that Gilliam went after Bruce was a scene in the first Die Hard, which always struck me as incredibly heartfelt. It's after he has to run across the glass, and he's bleeding everywhere, and he's picking the pieces of glass out of his feet in that bathroom. And he's telling family matters, like, hey, find my wife after this. She's the greatest thing that ever happened to a bum like me. And when Gilliam saw that, Gilliam was like, there's more in there than he's letting on. So when he hired Willis to play Cole in 12 Monkeys, he told him, he's like, if you're going to do this movie, you're not doing your Bruce Willis shtick. You know, none of the laughs, none of the winky bullshit, none of the smiling. This has to be your most stripped down. Um, you cannot rely on that persona that you've cultivated. And I think he took that direction, took to that direction swimmingly. I find that to be definitely his least Bruce Willisy role. But then you see that he was able to kind of also parlay that into the roles that he played for M. Night in Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, 12 Monkeys. Obviously, it's, you know, a, a difficult movie um, to just be like, hey, let's sit down and watch 12 Monkeys. Um, but so memorable for me. And as far as Willis's performance is concerned, I think he has some, some of his most heartfelt moments, particularly where he's riding in the car with Madeline Stowe's character. And she's fucking with the radio, and he tells her to stop there, stop there. And it's playing Fax Domino, Blueberry Hill. And he smiles, and just his eyes just well up with tears. Part's pretty fantastic. The other part that is a little less heartfelt on the surface, you got to do a little searching, I think. But when he rips his teeth out, because he thinks that's how they're finding it, it actually, I mean, depending on whether or not you think he's insane, um, it works in the narrative of the film that they can't find him because he, he tears his teeth out, he cuts his own teeth out, but whoa, 
when he comes out of the bathroom and he's got blood all over him and he's holding his teeth and he's like, I don't want them to find me. It's, he's like a, it's funny the way that movie ends. I don't want to spoil anything, but it's funny how he kind of, because he's only ever grown up underground post-apocalypse, he has a very childlike and innocent approach to a world that's, you know, yeah, the air is breathable, but is it better? Worse? Who knows? Probably better from his perspective or anyone's perspective, but, you know, it gives you pause. That one will always probably, that one will probably always be my favorite Bruce Willis performance. So, 12 Monkeys, I remember 12 Monkeys, actually, I remember 12 Monkeys becoming a series I think fairly recently on the sci-fi channel, which I thought was yeah. cool, even though it didn't work out. And the 12 Monkeys movie, it's a great sci-fi movie. Like it, it, it has all the, that, those 90s tropes of, you know, the time travel, the dystopian society and all that sort of stuff mixed with this really creepy vibe. And I don't, I honestly don't remember if 12 Monkeys was positively received or if it was kind of shat on. Um, it was positive because Brad Pitt, was everybody talked about the Brad Pitt character right. and the fact that it was like a time it was a time travel movie that people could appreciate right did you ever see Last Man Standing? That's his movie after that. Um, possibly. That was one where he played like a bootlegger or something with a hat. I think. Yep. <laughs> with <a> hat. <laughs> that was his character, bootlegger with a hat, I think. Um, <laughs> I, I saw it, but I probably don't remember it. Weirdly enough, though, I do remember the video store up the street from us would often when they would change out the their video po- shop. Yeah. Shop with two P's and an E. <laughs> I remember when they would change out their posters, they would give away the ones that they were getting rid of. And last man standing was one that I got. I don't know why I suppose because I thought Bruce Willis was cool and it was a, I, a and it was a movie poster, which was cool enough. But that hung in my closet, I think, for a while, along with Con Air, maybe The Rock. And there was some Nicole Kidman movie where the poster had cleavage on it. I don't know. To Die For? Yes. Was it To Die For? Yes. It was, it was like blue. It had a blue hue mm-hmm. over it. Yeah. Yes. She played a teacher that seduced her students to kill her husband. Great. That sounds wonderful. I never I saw it. I Joaquin just... Phoenix is the student. Oh, man. We're just, we're just learning all kinds of shit tonight. I never, <laughs> I never saw the movie. I just had the poster because I thought it made me um, cool to have Nicole Kidman's cleavage in my closet. <laughs> But that was the best part of the movie. Yeah, well, was fair the poster enough. probably. So after Last Man Standing, where do we land? Or what were you going to say uh, about Last Man Standing? Did you? Did you? I don't remember a thing about it. It might be something for the show. Oh, all right. Well, then we'll save it for the show because I would love to do that. What comes? There's a couple of these coming up that might be for the show, but not the next one. The next one is Beloved. I think we talked about it. I'm sure we've talked about it on Mount Rushmore, but it's called The Fifth Element. General Monroe. How nice to see you in the 5,000 block. Nice apartment, Major. It's like you settled into a wonderful life. Heard you lost your job. You heard that, huh? Well, don't worry. I'll get another job. Don't bother. We have one for you. Major Dallas, you've been selected for a mission of the utmost importance. What mission? Save the world. You'll leave immediately for Floston Paradise. Retrieve four stones from the diva Plava Laguna and bring them back with the utmost discretion possible. Any questions? Yeah, just one. Why me? I retired six months ago. You remember? Three reasons. One, 
As a member of the elite Special Forces Unit of the Federated Army, you are an expert in the use of all weapons and spacecraft needed for this mission. Two, of all the members of your unit, you're the most highly decorated. Third one. Of all the members of your unit, you're the only one left alive. You check your messages? No, I've had enough good news for one day. Might be important. You've won the uh, annual Jiminy contest and a trip to Floss in Paradise for two. Here are your tickets. You read the contest? Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Ah, yes. The Fifth Element Lilu Dallas 19... Multipass. <laughs> 1997. What a great movie. I remember on our other podcast, Rushmore, Rudy brought The Fifth Element to our best sci-fi best 90s sci-fi movie debate and could not fault him because that movie is just so weird and so good and so over the top that it's hard not to love. And this is another like shout out to his agent or manager who, or whoever brought this project because it was super weird. 12 Monkeys, a Terry Gilliam picture was also very weird. It was like a low budget sci-fi. And then you get to high budget sci-fi when it comes to the fifth element. And not only that, everything about the fifth element, I don't think should work. <laughs> Oh like, no! You look back on it now. Oh no! It's campy. It's it's corny. Gary Oldman is just a caricature of a villain. But like you said, it's it's almost like it's and it's not even like it's self aware. Like that shit takes itself very seriously. Everything from the <laughs> the um the beginning opera singer. I was gonna say the opera singer, but I was gonna start at the beginning with the whole thing with. Luke Perry and the stones and and the the planet that's basically a ball of evil. Even Zeus, Tiny Lister, as the president, I think, or like the commissioner of the world or whatever his role was. It, it's it's a gag, right? But it's it's it works and it works perfectly within that universe. And everything, everything. What does Chris Tucker's character look like on the page? <laughs> You know, oh like, yeah, that's a, I mean, you're the screenwriter. Like how how do you even That's another thing too is like a movie like that that's so outlandish, you just have to respect on the basis of imagination and creativity alone. Like somebody had to come up with all that shit and and the amount of of brain power and the amount of collaboration, the combination of digital and special effects, like the the creatures in that movie were great and it was just a lot of like little things that that made that movie just a wonderful sum of its parts. I love it. Me too. It was Luke Besson that did yep. The Fifth Element and he did Professional. Yeah. Like he had no right to do that movie. The Professional? And have that movie be. No. Oh. Uh, Fifth Element. I mean, it's a pretty big leap from Leon the Professional, which is like a just kind of like a classic vigilante story grounded in, in reality and corruption and just this like dirty environment. Um, yeah, to this high gloss space opera. <laughs> All right. So, moving on, just say if you want to talk about any of these, Mercury Rising. Never saw that one. The Jackal. Saw that one. Remember, he had a mustache. <laughs> Well, he was all different disguises. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. one of, And one of his disguises was Bruce Willis with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He had like blonde, blonde hair, hair at one yep, point. Yep. The Jackal is one of those that I, I, I talk about all the time of movies that I would watch 
like for a week at a time yep. before going to high school. There, the Jackal is one of those rotation movies. Oh, that's right. You had that weird thing where you would watch movies before going to high school. Yeah. Like you were, you were, that's, that's why I love you, Spro, because your passion for movies is genuine and it has been longstanding <laughs> since even before I knew you. Because I remember I was, before going to school, I was forcing myself to eat a bowl of cereal and wake up while you were engrossed in, in the action thriller, The Jackal for weeks at a time. It, it wasn't like engrossed, but like even I still do it today. I will take my uh, Amazon Fire tablet. I'll take my tablet to the kitchen and put on a movie as kind of background noise as I mm-hmm. cook. Um, and that's how I, w- people would listen to music. They would, you know, put in their Bobby Brown cassette and put themselves up for high school. And I would put in Kiss the Girls with uh, Carrie Elways and Ashley Judd. That's how I punched myself. Hey, up man, different school. strokes, so- different folks. And shout out to the Bobby Brown cassette because I didn't have it, but I'm sure plenty of our friends did. <laughs> the Jackal, I think, out of all of his movies, might be the one that I want to pop on to Second Chance Cinema well, the most just because let's I do it. I think Richard Gere has a good turn. There's a little cameo from Jack Black. You got J.K. Simmons in it as well. Oh, nice. It's a good lineup. It's a good, I think. I'm sold. Thriller. You know piece. You know what? Sidebar, and I, I thought about this before and then it left my brain and now it's back. Make sure, listener and bro, if you haven't seen it, you watch the Key and Peele sketches where they are the doormen who get excited about Liam Neeson's and because uh, there's some great shout outs to Bruce Willis where they call him Bruce Willie and it's hilarious. It's absurd and hilarious. And it's a great, if you watch the whole series of them, it's a great payoff at the end. But you know who I like as much as nieces? As much as nieces? Who? Bruce Willie. Or what if they made a movie with Liam Neeson's and Bruce Willie? <gasps> Neeson's and Willie. Glee and Neeson's. Harder, man. Harder. That's just my non sequitur Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Willis, Bruce Willie mention. So after the Jackal, what do we have? So here's the thing the Jackal is 1998, right? Yep. I know We're it's, not too I know far it's off. coming. The fifth element is 97. Have we slumped yet? In this career that started in 1989 with all these movies that were thrown out. I suppose you could argue for The Jackal and Mercury Rising being kind of, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know how they did box office wise, but they weren't, they weren't um, movies that, that, you know, made a huge impression in pop culture, I don't think. And I think that- Even so. I mean, they were still, like I said, I don't think I, I've- I don't think I've seen, if I have, I haven't seen it in a while, The Jackal, never saw Mercury Rising. But every actor has that like span of movies where there are maybe two or three that are just sort of pumped out. And I think this was sort of that time. I mean, in the 90s, the late 90s, there were a lot of actors who fell victim to that same sort of thing. I mean... What it is, I think, is kind of it's kind of like the Madden curse. Do you know what the Madden curse is? Yeah, where where the Hayden Hillis goes on the cover right, of Madden, where and the, the Browns athlete <laughs> who goes on the cover of Madden inevitably gets injured and falls from grace. Well, if you think about it, of course that's likely to happen because the reason that that athlete is on the cover of Madden is likely because that athlete is at the pinnacle of his career, right? So it makes sense that after a movie like The Fifth Element or Although, was The Fifth Element successful? I feel like we've talked about that before. Yeah. Actually, I just got surprised. It was nominated for one Oscar. Wow. So, so after the string of 
we'll say like from Die Hard with a Vengeance up through, or maybe even Pulp Fiction, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, 12 Monkeys, Fifth Element. Like he's he's at the top of the roller coaster pretty much, right? So Mercury Rising and and the Jackal might be that first dip, but even that first dip is still really fucking high. Right, but and that's so. <laughs> here's me stuttering because the Fifth Element is 1997. He's coming out with Armageddon in 1998. Yeah, one year later. Yeah, like there's no dip. <laughs> so he, I mean, he's a. It's it's weird because he he he's got a. A precedent, right? Like he's a blockbuster movie star, and so any movie yeah. that he makes that's not on par with those are auto- is automatically going to be considered a failure or part of a slump. When I suppose I can see the the logic behind that, but I don't necessarily agree with it. No, no, no. Because I would say, you know, if somebody was like, "Should I see Fast Nine or The Jackal?" I'd be like, "Oh, go sit down and watch The Jackal." I can't, I can't recommend Fast Nine to anybody. I don't. Fast e- and the Furious Nine. Yeah, that's a, but, that's a whole other podcast. I don't. But. So, we already talked about Armageddon. We sure did. There was the the siege after that, which I remember him taking a bad guy turn. The siege, yeah. He wasn't he necessarily like, a bad guy. He was like, no, he was just like that. He it was kind of, it's 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 a trope of like that overly aggressive general, right, who wants to, you know, blow up the White House despite the terrorists or whatever it is. Right. Great movie. I don't remember too much about it. I think it was hitting a little too close to home. This is what 98 still, and so there's Three years before the world changes. Um, are you talking about? 90- are, wait, are you talking about the siege? I thought you were. I thought you were previewing the next movie hitting too close to home, and I thought you were going to lead into the sixth sense. <laughs> I was like, "Well, Spro, there's no. something else I don't know about you. Clearly, why don't you go ahead and explain that now?" No, but so and here's the, like it's weird because I think I'm remembering Bruce Willis all wrong that he had all these remaking of his career movies. And it wasn't. He was just kept coming out with bangers. I don't know what was being talked about in between everything, but to go from Armageddon in 98, there was the siege, which what, like you're saying, maybe that's it. Maybe because it wasn't Armageddon and it wasn't Die Hard with a Vengeance. It wasn't these top of the, it wasn't the Bruce Ennium, you know, like he wasn't <laughs> selling he out wasn't movie get, he theaters. Wasn't get, he he, he could have, he could have jumped on the big Willie style bandwagon bruce willie style he wasn't getting bruce willis style yeah but i mean you're right um, it's like it's basically like saying like it's one of those you know thinking back to school if you were one of those kids who got a pluses all the time then a c was a real bummer but a c is not a bad grade no not at all um does that make sense is because, that is that a fair comparison or is that just blowing smoke out of my ass well, and I would say the jackal is like a b right you know? right right i'm saying anything below an a plus for for you know, someone of that mindset is a failure when it's really not. I guess it's like going to watch Aaron judge, you know, at the plate. And if he strikes out, you're like, oh, and then he hits a home run. You're like, that's that's Aaron judge, Mm -hmm. right? That's the reason why he makes so much money with the New York Yankees. And you kind of forget about the time that he struck out because every hitter is going to strike out. They're not all going to be winners. Bruce Willis, we skipped over 1999's Breakfast of Champions. I don't know what that is. Who wasn't a winner? <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't. But, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were leading into that saying whatever the movie you're going to announce was like described as a Breakfast of Champions. I didn't think that was the actual title. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know what that is either. <laughs> you should check out the poster of Breakfast of Champions though because it's him with an American flag top hat and two American flags on his in his hands and it says breakfast of champions and then somebody the Toronto Suns review at the bottom of the poster says it's great 
Is this? Oh, the it's a Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. Jr. Okay, yeah, I know this. All right, I've never seen this movie, but yeah, this is a uh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. A rich car dealer is losing his mind. His son lives in the bomb shelter. His suicidal wife has an affair with his transvestite sales manager. <laughs> I mean, this is just a a pleasant ish surprise maybe let's move on because there's other big let's, stuff coming in 1999 and it's the sixth sense right <sighs> i thought you meant the other italian restaurant i asked you to marry me in <sighs> i'm so sorry Anna. i just can't seem to keep track of time And I didn't have a very good session today. I... They're both so similar. Same mannerisms, same expressions, same things hanging over their head. I think it might be some kind of abuse. Cole has scratches on his arm. I think they might be fingernail cuts. Defensive cuts, maybe. I don't know. I... Maybe a teacher or a neighbor. I don't think it's a mother. I've, I've seen her with him and it doesn't seem to fit. Or I could just be wrong. Maybe he's just a kid who likes to climb trees a lot. Anna. I know that I've been a little distant. I that it makes you mad. I just feel like I'm being given a second chance and I don't want it to slip away. Anna. Happy anniversary. Which changed film or movies and said like the sixth sense i think is one of those movies that came out from an unknown direct writer director and just blew everybody's mind and the way that it works is bruce willis's performance as the lead character and actually this came out before what was the one we were just talking about america car salesman breakfast, breakfast of, of champions. champions this one came out in the summer and apparently breakfast of champions came out in the fall whatever so contrary to popular belief the sixth sense is not known as the spectacular Donnie Wahlberg film. It is the spectacular Bruce Willis film because of what Spro just said. The twist is legendary. I'm not even going to say spoiler alert. His performance, knowing that the twist is that he's dead the whole time, I can't, I, I can't wrap my head around how intricate that must be to think about and then to actually perform. I read somewhere that he taught himself how to write He's left-handed and it's displayed in most of his films. In The Sixth Sense, he learned how to write with his right hand, so this would not be so easily noticeable that his character was not wearing his wedding ring. Ah, that's interesting. That's interesting. That see, that's the kind of shit like like this movie had this this movie was a perfect storm, right? There were a lot of moving parts that had to work in order for this movie to work, and they did. And I don't think that that negates the power of Bruce Willis's performance in this movie. I think if anything, it it emphasizes how 
integral each part of this movie was. The writing, the directing, Haley Joel Osment, the the cinematography, the special effects, and then of course, Bruce Willis's performance. I, this movie was too smart for me when I saw it because I was, uh, the twist happened and, and it was kind of like, wait a minute, but he's not dead, is he? I don't know what was going on in my head. I'd never seen a twist like that before. So, I had no precedent in my head, I guess is what it was. I didn't realize a movie could do that. And it's all testament to the performances and the, the all the other things I mentioned, all those moving parts. And I would argue that Bruce Willis's performance is the linchpin that kind of holds everything together. I know Haley Joel Osment gets a lot of credit and rightly so, but without the established gravity of Bruce Willis in that role, I don't think it works the same. And we're not we're not a dirt podcast. I know that when we were talking about Ben Affleck, we were bringing up some of his personal life and you're like, I feel kind of icky talking about this type of thing. But I think it's the sixth sense. Really, here's one thing about Bruce Willis's personal life that makes it even easier to celebrate the man today is that I have not heard one scandal from his personal life, right? Like it's not like Alec Baldwin yelling at his daughter on a voicemail or anything like that, or the myriad of things that celebrities do nowadays that gets out into the press that kind of paints them in a bad light. I have never heard this about Bruce Willis. All I've seen with Bruce Willis is his love of his daughters uh-huh. and his support of his ex-wife, him hanging out with Ashton Kutcher, even his ex-wife's new husband at the time. I was going to say, that's really the only thing that that was tabloidy. And that wasn't even that was, and he was just kind of on the the periphery of that. He wasn't even like, I mean, obviously he was involved in the situation itself. But you're right, it didn't ever devolve into something where he was, you know, taking shots or anything like that. Um, right, he just seemed super supportive, right? Like, and I think it's with the Sixth Sense and his movie after that, The Story of Us, where he kind of dives into that of his part of his personality, how he is with Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense, nobody can really convince me that's not deep down a little part of Bruce Willis coming out, how he interacts and how he enjoys his interactions with children. There's no way that Haley Joel Osment is as good on screen if Bruce Willis isn't as supportive of an on-set actor as he probably was during The Sixth Sense. Well, it's genuine, right? And I don't know if it was an intentional choice or whatever, but it came through in the movie. I can't think of any other movies off the top of my head where Bruce Willis interacts with children, except for that movie, The Kid, which actually was not that great, but not terrible. That's in 2000. That's next year. Oh, right, right. I'm just saying in terms of his genuine you know, genuineness with what you're saying. But what I was going to say is, as I'm kind of flipping through here up into the the aughts, we have Hostage, which I think you've never seen, right? Oh, no, I've seen it. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about that. I was going to say, that was, that's a second chance cinema. That's a that's a bullseye for next season. <laughs> Hostage, we have a great Tears cameo. Tears of the Sun. A great, Tears, Tears of the Sun. I was going to say a great cameo in, in Ocean's 12, where he mm-hmm. basically just takes the piss out of himself and kind of characterizes himself as like a sort of like this weird Hollywood creepy caricature of himself. You should sit down. I'm I'm with the studio. Marcy's still very much in the picture, sir. Um, I just wanted to get you for a second. We're, we're, We're looking to come off this baby thing strong. You know, that little statue on the mantle starts smirking at you after a while. You know what I'm saying? Not really, Glenn, no. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Hey, Jules, yes. that reminds me. 
You know, I've been meaning to call you since the last time the girls and I were down in town. So oh, it's so good to see you. to see you. So Come relaxing. Yeah, a mess. <laughs> anyway, Tallulah left her SpongeBob blanket in the red casita. Okay. So what I want to do here. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. Is call Marcus and have him get a hold of Louise so okay. we can make arrangements to send someone down there to get it. He's home now, right? Sin City, which, uh, you know, his performance was awesome, but also the whole movie was pretty revolutionary. And then there are some I don't know, <laughs> like Hammy's Boomerang Adventure. Oh, that's from the uh, from Over the Hedge. Yeah, I know that. Over the Hedge. That was a good movie. He played a <laughs> raccoon. I like that. And then we start getting in toward the end of the aughts. We get into things like Live Free or Die Hard in 2007. And then we get into Surrogates in 2009. Did you ever see Surrogates? I don't think so. So, Surrogates is an interesting movie to look at now. It was not a... I mean, I don't remember it being super... I don't know, super revolutionary or anything like that. But it's about basically plugging yourself into a headset or like a, you know, sensory chamber or something like that, and then living your life in this meta world. And it's one of those movies where, you know, we look at movies like that we saw when we were kids that envisioned what the future was going to be like. And now we're in the future that we that we imagined as kids. And this is a movie that definitely has elements that are becoming more and more prevalent, like AI, like, you know, meta avatars and things like that. And it was not, it was not certainly not one of his greatest movies, but I enjoyed it probably more than I, than I should have. And then after that, did I skip over any you wanted to talk about? Well, there are two characters that he created in this part of life that I don't want to pass over. Okay. And that, well, I already I said, think I you're already, going back to why I already said RJ, the raccoon. So, but there's David Dunn. Oh, Unbreakable. And, yeah. Right. Um, which he's going to come back. That's probably going to be some of his final great performances in Glass and Split or Split and Glass. He has a little cameo in Split, which was my favorite part of the movie when he comes out of the woodwork and then there's Glass. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Jimmy Tudeschi from the whole nine yards and the whole 10 yards. See, I never saw those because of Matthew Perry. Oh my gosh. What's with you and Matthew Perry? That man's getting us listens. (laughs) Oh, that's right. He's our most, (laughs) you know what? Fine. Respect to Matthew Perry. He's our most downloaded episode of all time by a lot, which I can't explain for the life of me. Fools Rush In has like some thousands of downloads and this, this heartwarming tribute to Bruce Willis is probably going to get like 59. Can't explain it. But that was part of the reason I never saw those movies was just like, eh, oh. I don't care. I wonder if Rudy is going to talk about those movies. Speaking of Rudy, Spro, I see what you did and I, I'm picking mm-hmm. up what you're putting down. We have our third and final tribute to Bruce Willis from our dear friend who joins us on our podcast, who has joined us on our podcast many, many times this past season. And I honestly don't know what Rudy's going to talk about. I'm guessing he's going to talk about Armageddon because I know Rudy's a romantic and I know that he's got that vibe and that uh, sense of sentimentality about that movie. And um, I don't know. I just remember that he also loved that thing you do, but Bruce Willis isn't in that. So, I have no idea what he's going to talk about. But anyway, here's Rudy with his special Bruce Willis tribute. Hey, friends. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. I really appreciate that. I'm so sorry that I was not able to be there in the moment with you guys recording this. And I also want to apologize to the listener if I say anything that's already been said. Just know that it's that important that it gets said multiple times. Bruce Willis is... 
a treasure. Let's just be honest. Like the the way that he started his career to where his career the trajectory that his career was on and where it like I guess you could say quote unquote ended, you would have not guessed it. I mean, I'm sure we've already talked about moonlighting. And I'm sure that we've talked about that his comedic chops and his charisma and his ability to be like that lovable smartass, like really won people over. And that's when he kind of entered the collective consciousness. And that's why it was so such an interesting choice to make the leap to <laughs> like one of the most iconic action movies of all time, Die Hard. And in the moment, people were hesitant about it because they had known him as not John McClane. So I I felt that to be able to step outside of a box that you're being painted in um, and and show people something new and then actually just redefine a whole genre as this everyman, because I think that's what made him so successful is that, you know, the the Die Hard 2, 3, and, and all the other action movies. I mean, if you're a fan of this podcast, I'm assuming you've heard the Rushmore podcast, and I brought The Fifth Element in as one of my favorite sci-fi movies. Um, we've spoken, I've waxed poetically about Michael Bay and Armageddon, and, and clearly, Bruce Willis is the alpha in all of that, all of those movies. But it's the way that He's not the, the the typical alpha. Like in the 80s, there were no montages of um, Bruce Willis suiting up for battle with like, and you know, you get a, a nice tight shot on his biceps or, you know, there aren't, you know, vascular veins popping out of arms and stuff like that. It was, it was like dad bod, let's be honest. I mean, guy looked great, but I also loved that uh, you could tell he was holding on to a dream that was deferred on the top of his head. And I loved that. It was like, yeah, that guy's uh, losing his hair. And then he shaved his head and bald is beautiful. Now everybody hopes they look like Bruce, Bruce Willis when they shave their heads. I know I do. But so you had the 80s and most of the 90s were like action movies and, uh, you know, these these iconic films but i loved that like around like the late 90s so we're talking sixth sense where it's not an action movie it's something completely different you know you're seeing those you know he's showing those chops again but i enjoyed the the kind of in the he dipped his toe back into the the softer stuff i mean the whole nine yards is is a hilarious movie and i include i encourage everybody to go back and watch his portrayal as a uh, jimmy the tulip tedeschi and um, it's still like he's able to still be macho, still, you know, prove that he can still, you know, he's action oriented, but he still has those comedy chops. And then in the early 2000s, like I think it was 2000s, he did Disney's The Kid right after, uh, right before, I'm sorry, Unbreakable. So you had this like family film, The Kid, where he's playing off of a young child and he's able to show that softer side. He brings the comedy back in. It's lovable. And then turns around and it's an next thing. It's an M. Night Shyamalan uh, movie where it's dark. It's brooding. He's, you know, he's got this superpower 
and he doesn't know what to do with it. I mean, that those two movies back to back prove that he has this ability that not a lot of not a lot of actors have. They want to have it. They want to be seen as something else, but they just don't have the ability to convey um, that that breadth of emotion and and depth of character. Um, and I think that's why Bruce Willis was able to sustain for so long is is that he was not he was in on it the whole time i loved the cameos that he did oceans 12 when he played bruce willis that was hilarious he he knew by the time that we got into like the 2010s that he needed to mix it up a little bit i mean he, he did an animated movie over the hedge I think it was the voice of like a squirrel or something. And it was delightful. I think I have that on DVD somewhere. But as he got older, he wanted to let people know that, you know what, I'm getting older, but I'm going to, I would say, age, try and age gracefully in action movies. And that's what I got from Red and Red 2. It's like, while you, yes, he did make a cameo in The Expendables, a lot of those actors are focused still on holding on to the glory days of the 80s and the 90s where biceps were huge and they were, they, they never lost a fight. And whereas Red, it's like the most mundane life that he gets dragged out of back into this this life of a hitman and it's hilarious i mean and helen mirren whew, don't even get me started but i loved the fact that he was able to still find moments in his career where he wasn't going to be defined by straight up action he was going to be defined he was going to show you that he had range to be uh heartfelt he had range to be comedic he had he had the range to bring something different to the table in each character um and yeah i'm really glad that bruce willis is getting getting some props because Bruce Willis need you know he people need to know how uh, important Bruce Willis is in in that sense. Gracias, that was that was awesome. As we kind of head toward the end of of Bruce Willis's career, which is really again sort of sad to think about, but also as you just kind of scroll through this, and hopefully as you've listened to us talk, you realize what like an amazing just an amazing longevity he's had. The next movies that we're talking about, or the next movies that pop up rather are, well, first the Expendables, which the the first Expendables was, that was kind of a, what's the word, a bait and switch, I guess, where it was going to be, it was promised that it was going to be Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Bruce Willis all on screen at the same time. And technically, they did deliver that. However, <laughs> however, it was about five minutes of dialogue inside of a church. They weren't shooting anything. They weren't blowing anything up. It was a Wasn't bit Schwarzenegger like the governor at the time. He might have been, or he was. Ju- there was a joke about it in the movie, so he might have just been coming off his his career as governor. But they more than made up for it in Expendables too, because there are scenes where Bruce Willis and Schwarzenegger are driving around in the tiny car at the airport, blowing away bad guys, throwing bad guys, ripping the door off the car. And the whole cast of that movie topped off by Van Damme as the villain. That was like for an action movie junkie like me, that was such a fun ride. Such a fun ride. 
Not a great movie. Such a fun movie. Definitely. And really, it's kind of like the cheat sheet, I guess, or the cliff notes of action movies. Being in the Expendables back in the day, the Expendables, the Expendables 2 and Expendables 3, Not so. Much, I'm not hyped for the Expendables 4. That seems like a cash grab. Mm, yeah. You can't convince me that Megan Fox has ever been an action star in her life. But when it comes to at least the first two Expendables, if you're in the cast, I believe that you have changed the game for action movies in some part of your life. And the fact that Bruce Willis is up there, I think, is one of those almost kind of Mount Rushmore type Sure. Did we? He's up there on a Rushmore, isn't he? He was John on McClane, uh, John, John McClane was on our first Mount Rushmore of uh, action uh, action movie characters. And yep. like you're saying about the Expendables, it's kind of like a. I mean, certainly they don't need our validation, but the Expendables starring Stallone, Schwarzenegger, and Bruce Willis. It's not just like a movie designed to feature all the shareholders of Planet Hollywood. It's more of <laughs> it's more of a nod to this this nostalgia, and it's a really like it's a once in a generation concept. Like you're not going to have an Expendables like movie for whoever today's action stars are, because today's action stars are. I can't imagine an Expendables with like Vin Diesel and The Rock. Well, especially those two because they're they're bitchy with each other. But like you can't, <laughs> I, I can't imagine an Expendables with any other set of actors anchoring it than Schwarzenegger, Stallone, and Bruce Willis. Like it just doesn't. Well, it's just not. It, it would feel phony. It's funny because the kids don't have that. There's The Rock, who's in everything, mm-hmm. and I really think that The Rock should do a Last Action Hero. Too. But I once went around to all my students one day, and my students are around the age of like 10 to 13 years old. And I was like, this is a prime question. Granted, this was about four years ago, but I was like, who's your action star today? I was like, back in my day, I would always watch Arnold Schwarzenegger films like Commando and The Predator and stuff like that. Like, who's your guy today? And no joke, most of them didn't have an answer. And one kid looked at me and went, I, I guess that would be Wreck It Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> So it's yeah, like, that's not a bad. I mean, that's not a terrible <laughs> answer. I guess. I mean, I'm surprised some of them didn't say like. Did you ask for actor or character? Actor. Oh, okay. And so I was going to say, I'm surprised some of them didn't maybe say like Robert Downey Jr. or like the Marvel, you know, guys. It is surprising. I mean, because I did follow up this year with like, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? And they're like, I don't watch movies. Like, I don't watch the the trailer for Scream. I guess was pretty scary. And I was like, oh, okay, well, they, you know, sweet. I mean, they've, there's a lot of unboxing videos for them to watch these days. Right. So. Enjoy your ticky tock. But yeah, so when it comes to the Expendables, like this is for this is for our era. And that's what I loved about it. Like I didn't even hate, I, I liked the Expendables 3. It was certainly not without flaw, but I, I certainly enjoyed it. So now we get to the part where it's kind of like, oh, we wanted to talk about Red also. Yeah. Well, I think Red is a good, it's funny. You look at Red, you look at Bruce Willis and Red, he's still, I would say 50 year old, Bruce Willis. You got Morgan Freeman in it. Morgan Freeman old as shit. He, Morgan Freeman was born 63 years old. <laughs> Same with John Malkovich. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like Helen Mirren. Bruce Willis to well, me. She's a babe, looks like, but yeah. Yeah. But Bruce Willis is like, hey, I'm here. My head's shaved. I could have just walked off of the 12 Monkeys set. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. Do you remember that Bruce Willis, in my opinion, I think, and I shouldn't even say in my opinion, from in my memory, was kind of the first dude to own his baldness. Does that does that I, ring a bell at all? I would say yes. Like because there I don't remember exactly what when he first like when he first became bald. I don't know if that's 
how to phrase it, but I feel like there was this big, I remember at one of the magazines I worked at, there was a, it would have been in probably like 2004 or five or six. There was a interview with him and the portrait of him was just a shot, like a forced perspective shot of his bald head. So it was kind of like, it must've been right after he just kind of said, fuck it and owned it. And I feel like he was probably one of the first dudes to, to successfully do that. As I'm scrolling through, it looks like it was unbreakable. Maybe that's what it, maybe was, like, it was. Yeah. Which is 2000. That's like his turn. That's when he goes from 40 to 50 to me. <laughs> right. Skips over. Still skips over. Hair. Skips completely over 40, 41 through 49. Jumps right to 50. But he's got short hair in 1995's 12 Monkeys. And I think 15 years later in red, when he's supposed to be a retiree, he looks Exactly the same. The man didn't age to me. It's because he owned his baldness, and I respect that. He, um, so what you got to do. <clears throat> and then once once we pass red, we get into we're in we're in like 2014 now, and this is where we start kind of getting into movies that it, it just became. He became too prolific of an actor. He became you know three movies per year, then up to sometimes four or five movies per year, and a lot of this was when. You know, Netflix was becoming a thing and Prime and all that stuff. So, there's a lot of direct-to-video, direct-to-DVDs and all that kind of stuff. And it sucks that there are so many of these movies because honestly, I would not be opposed to watching all of them or at least most of them just based on the fact that even during the times where he's been described as being in a slump, we seem to both agree that Bruce Willis has still provided us with loads of entertainment. Well, it's funny. Like, I can give you, I have seen some of these. First Kill was actually filmed down the street from us or down the state. Really? With Hayden Christensen and Bruce Willis. And this is like the first time that I heard people talking about working with Bruce Willis. And nothing bad, but Bruce Willis at this point in his life knew that as soon as he steps on a set, that production is going to get six to nine million dollars from overseas distribution companies that want the film so they can give it to the Asian markets and whatnot. So, Bruce Willis knew no matter what, that as soon as he steps on a set, that movie just made $9 million, no matter what, right? And so, he would take these like little parts to elevate movies and he would only have to show up for three days. One of them being First Kill, which is an okay movie. Um, One movie when I was researching for my bank robbery movie called Marauders, he's in it. You could tell that he's a two to three day work actor, but the movie, the opening scene of that movie, the bank robbery scene in that movie, super cool, super well done. If you're a person that likes bank robbery scenes, kind of like the dark night heat, this is one that goes right to the top, the beginning one of that one. But I want to throw out there once upon a time in Venice, which is like John Wick light. It's, it's a comedy. It's like John Wick comedy. He plays a Los Angeles detective who is going after a gang that stole his dog. Oh. And that's so like the dog doesn't die, right? Spoiler like alert, that. not spoiler like alert. That. Like ease up, trigger warning, whatever. And it's just a cute little, like, I think it's a Jack Russell Terrier, but it's Bruce Willis, John Goodman, Jason Momoa are like the top three actors in the film. I'm, I'm reading the plot summary of first kill confirm this for me hayden christensen plays a character named will beeman wasn't that jamie fox's name in any given sunday well see hayden christensen is will 
Beeman. And we're not, and, and Willie Beeman. J.B. Fox was Willie. I yeah, get yeah. it. I get it. Steam and Willie Beeman. And this Will it's, Beeman seems like a more <laughs> buttoned up Wall Street stockbroker type guy. So, so as we peruse this list of what has to be at least 30 movies between like 2015, 2013 and, and now. Oh my gosh. In 20. 2022, which was the year that he officially retired, I believe. I'm counting 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 movies. He made a movie every month in 2022. That's crazy. And a lot of these movies are ones that I did not have not heard of until checking out this IMDb uh, page of his filmography. So, that said... I think I would like to round out this episode by playing a little game, if you're up for it. So, the game I propose is I have a list of Bruce Willis movie titles and I have a list of movie titles that are made up. And this isn't meant to be a mockery. This is more just sort of us reveling at the expansive catalog of Bruce Willis. So, I'm going to say one of the movies and I want you to tell me if it's a Bruce Willis movie or if it's not. Okay? Okay. We'll, I'm, I'm game. All right. We'll go through seven of these and we'll see if you can come out on top, which means you have to get at least four right. Okay. And I've scanned the IMDB list. So, we'll see how well- um, We're going on the honor like, system here. So, you better not yep, have it open. I don't. All right. The first one, is this a real Bruce Willis movie or not a Bruce Willis movie? Breaking the North. Mm, I'm getting it confused because there was an Elijah Wood movie called North. I don't. I feel like he was in that, but I don't think he was. But that would have been a sequel, which didn't exist. I'm going to say no. That is correct. Ding, ding, ding. That is not nice. a Bruce Willis movie. Okay, next I'm going to tell you my thought patterns throughout I, the whole thing. I like that because that makes that makes it way more interesting. All right, next one. Um, let's see. The next one, is this a Bruce Willis movie or a made-up movie? Call to the Titans. It's like, remember the Titans? Call to the Titans. There's Clash of the Titans. What could Call to the Titans be about? God damn. I don't like it. But also, your lead up made me feel like you were looking something up. You're either looking something up or you were making something up. I'm going to go with looking something up and say yes. That is incorrect. That was a made up movie. So now you are <laughs> one for one. one. One, one for two. One for two. Oh, yeah. Okay, the next one. Is this or is this not a Bruce Willis movie? Wrong Place. That is a horrible title. Yes. It is? Yes, that is a movie. It is. Ding, Bruce ding, ding. It is a nice uh, 2002 movie, direct-to-video starring a person named Ashley Green and Bruce Willis. And... That is deep. Looks like he's a cop. Looks like he's a cop in this movie. <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting a vibe these last this last set of years of movies. There's there seems to be a common theme with his characters, at least in the ones I've looked at. All right. Next one. So right now you are two for three. Is this a Bruce Willis movie? The title is Avoiding the Dark. Hmm. I really want you to like bring up one that I know that I scanned over, but I'm blanking on all of them. Avoiding the dark. Yes. That is incorrect. God damn that it. is a made up movie title courtesy of movie title generator, thestoryshack.com. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, next one. So, we're on number, you've got three left. And so far, you're 50-50. The next one. Um, shoot. 
my list just closed on me. The next one. It's funny that like, I was like, man, I don't recognize that at all. I'm going to guess that it is a movie. See, that's when. The, yeah. All right. The next. If I don't recognize it. I should, I should trust my memory. Okay. The next one. One word title. Forsaken. That's a Bruce Willis movie. Final answer. I'm trying to help you, man. Yeah. Is it? Yes. Where? Wait, Forsaken is a Bruce Willis movie? No, I don't think- You're the one running this game. I don't think it's- Oh, no, I thought you meant- Well, hold on. Let me see if I can find it on here because it's- I'm pretty sure it's not. uh, I'm not like strong-armed about it, but- That is not a Bruce Willis movie, so- All right, thank you. So, that is not a Bruce Willis movie. I thought maybe I missed it. Maybe I- Maybe I- Maybe it was on both lists. I don't know. I thought you were trying to trick me with the, I'm trying to help you, man. No, no, like, no. Oh, no, absolutely. So, now we have two left and you have to get both of these right. All right. You ready? I'm like the 1999 US Women's National Soccer Team. You're like, you're down. China. You're, you, you are um, you are the Cavs Rose in uh, 2016. You're, you're down. Ugh, you're down. This is game right? six. Let's see if Bruce Willis is going to blow a three to one lead. All right. The next one is Gasoline Alley. The problem is, is I don't know how many real ones there are in this. You could just do all fake ones. Um, I could, I suppose, but I didn't. I've definitely mixed them up. Gasoline. But I'm going to say yes. Gasoline Alley it's is correct. That is a Bruce nice. Willis movie from 2022. He plays Detective Bill Freeman. Look at the poster. He's got a badge and a gun. And it also- I will once we're done with the game. I don't want to like cheat. It also stars Devin Sawa and Luke <laughs> Wilson. The tagline, Justice Gets Dirty. So- Yeah, I'm wondering if this is where they started using AI to write the movies. Maybe. (laughs) We'll see. All right, last one. Is this or is this not a Bruce Willis movie? Midnight in the Switchgrass. So, I'm going back (laughs) to avoid the dark and being like, I don't recognize that title. I don't think my eyes have ever scanned that. I don't think my eyes have ever read the word Switchgrass. So, I'm going to say no. I'm sorry, that is incorrect. God damn it. Midnight in the Switchgrass is a 2021 movie starring Megan Fox, Bruce Willis, and Emile Hirsch. And it is about, uh, this is a long plot summary, something, something, serial killer, something, something, Department of Law Enforcement, something, something, truck stop killer. So, that was an actual movie, which means that out of the seven that I asked, you got one, two, three correct and four incorrect. Do you want to try to balance it out with one more? No, no, no. I hope that our audience did better than me. And maybe they didn't. Maybe they did worse. (laughs) Well, maybe we all failed together. I think what this- You know what though? No, go ahead. I was going to say, you know what that game just kind of made me realize? What? Is I feel like a lot of people at the end point of Bruce Willis's life, and I'm not talking down about anybody, but this might seem like it, but it seems like the Devin Sawa and the Hayden Christensen and the Meal Hirsch, Megan Fox, maybe, they all like jumped on a Bruce Willis movie, right? Uh, to try and hope that his stardom elevated him. So, it's not necessarily all these movies at the end game, right? Um, leading up to his retirement. Maybe it was his, I don't want to like put good will in anybody's bucket, but maybe Bruce Willis was saying, yeah, I'll accept the six to $9 million for this film. And hopefully, you know, something good comes Emile Hirsch's way because it's been a while since him and I started an alpha dog together. Oh, good throwback to alpha dog. (laughs) I... I think it's kind of like what you said. Like, he knew, I mean, toward the end here, he knew that he was, uh, you know, headed toward retirement. 
which was kind of the impetus for this show, this episode rather. And it's a matter of just doing, I think, just doing as much as he could. And, you know, we we kind of tend to look at that. Seems like the person, the whether it's an actor or director or whatever, is being too indiscriminate with the roles that they take. And really what it is, I mean, I suppose that might be part of it. But also it's like if I was never going to be able to do something again, something that I loved, something that I'm good at, something that people enjoy seeing me do. And I knew that I had a finite amount of time left to do that thing, I would probably try to pack in as much of it as I could, regardless of what form that that took. Absolutely. And he's always seemed like a man that did what he could to enjoy life. I will. I had a personal run in with his daughters. Actually, they came to see one of my plays out in L.A. Really? Yeah. No, they came to see Malicious Bunny. They sat like three rows ahead of me. They left at intermission. <laughs> oh, well. I think I've talked about it maybe on Sprout and Lee, but the the end game was that they did not scout, not rumor, the middle one with the T. Tallulah. Tallulah. I only know that from Ocean's 12 because he talks about <laughs> how Tallulah left her SpongeBob blanket at Julia Roberts' house. But go on. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so Tallulah texted the director and said, sorry, we had something else to do. Obviously, you know, my writing's not for everybody, but yeah, a little two degrees of separation there. But I do want to talk about, before we close out, I did have a friend that passed away from frontotemporal dementia. Mm-hmm. And the, just so everybody is aware, the what is affecting Bruce Willis, the easiest way to say it is it's kind of like the inverse of Lou Gehrig's disease, where Lou Gehrig's disease attacks the body and keeps the mind in, in check. Uh, FTD pretty much deteriorates the mind and then keeps the body in check. It affects people between the ages of 45 and 65. It affects men and women equally. It's the second most prevalent type of early onset dementia after Alzheimer's disease. Like it is out there. And it's just one of those things that makes you remember that life every day, precious, hug the ones you got. And that's really the pinnacle of why we picked Bruce Willis to celebrate this year because the man is still with us and we can hug him and we can love him and we don't have to wait until I don't want to make that the whole message negative I was gonna say till the assholes on the internet go oh my gosh I always loved him and it's like you haven't talked about him once which we've talked about before on the show it's like those people that come out of the woodwork I but I, I have a new appreciation for Bruce Willis I don't I don't know if I would have ever I mean I'm sure I've bagged on him at some point and you know have, have have made jokes and things like that but at the same time you know you you do the best with what you know at the time and upon picking him for this episode and kind of digging in a little bit deeper I realized that you know my opinions have changed and I think and and I I shouldn't say changed but I've I've learned more and so it's sad to think of him you know that we might not ever get another diehard movie or we might not you know, ever visit the fifth element universe or whatever. But it's also a great reminder that, you know, we got really lucky being able to be entertained by him for so long. Absolutely. And if you listen to the episode and you want to do something about or some charity work for frontal temporal degeneration, there's the Association for Frontal Temporal Degeneration, which is at theaftd.org. You can donate 
there. That's really nice. Research. That would be awesome. And uh, before we close out, what's your favorite Bruce Willis movie? God damn it. I knew you were going to ask. I got it. I knew you were going to ask. Do I pick the one? Can I guess? Can I guess? You, not before I figure it okay. out. Okay. <laughs> I don't want you to <laughs> sway me one way or another. Okay. It's funny though. Do I pick the one that like, cause I literally watched the Jackal probably for like a month straight, but I can't pick the Jackal. I don't want to be basic and go die hard. No offense to you if you're going die. No, hard. no. I, I, I this is all your choice. Regarding my my cho- I'm already dialed in. I'm already locked in. I'm gonna go. You know what? I'm gonna throw you a curveball because we didn't even talk about it. Um, Disney's the kid. Now you could guess. No, we talked now about that. Guess. A movie that we didn't talk about that stars Bruce Willis. That's your favorite. My favorite. So here's the thing. Favorite movie. I would give you on Armageddon. Favorite Bruce Willis role is this movie. Um, Beavis and Butthead do America as Muddy Grimes. Nice. <laughs> um, nice, but no. Hudson Hawk. Nope. I give up. It's the story of us. Oh. So, the st- story of us is directed by Rob Reiner. It's all about a married couple going through hard times after 15 years of marriage. It's, it's like when Harry met Sally if they're about to get divorced. <laughs> But the way that the movie goes w- between Bruce Willis and Michelle Pfeiffer and the way that there's like a montage at the end that I think is like one of the top 10 best montages of all film, including like, you know, you're going to go Rocky training montage and whatnot. But the story of us montage where they go through the last 15 years of their life. Amazing. Interesting. Check it out. That's uh, I've never seen that one. I'll have to check it out. He plays Ben Jordan. I think the loudest silences are the ones filled with everything that's been said. Said wrong, said 300 times. You're not really hearing me. You're so goddamn critical. It's hard enough with two children. I don't need a third. Oh, that's right. You're perfect, and I've done nothing right in 15 years. You're not listening. You can't let go of anything. You never listen. You hold on to every little thing. Why should you be responsible for anything? Every fucking thing. Can I just take care of everything around here? Fine. 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 Until fighting becomes the condition rather than the exception. And suddenly, without you even knowing it, it turns into the language of the relationship, and your only option is a silent retreat to neutral corners. All right. Yes. You want to guess mine? I don't think mine's a big secret. Is it Armageddon? It's Armageddon. Nice. Just because, and, and I realize that the movie is bigger than Bruce Willis it himself, but without Bruce Willis, that movie doesn't exist. You put, try to put, Let me- you try to put Stallone in that role. No. Try to put Van Damme or Arnold. No. You needed somebody who, like Bruce Willis, was accessible, every man, but also above and beyond heroic. That also, I had a question for you about like two hours ago. Okay. (laughs) That I forgot. So now I have two questions for you. One, does Speed 2 Cruise Control work if Bruce Willis plays Jason Patrick's role? No. Because that movie was always doomed? Yeah, because speed is relative. A boat, a cruise ship, may be going several knots, which is fast, but. If you're filming and standing on a cruise ship, it doesn't look like you're moving. There's no speed. There's no sense of speed. It might have been its own it might have been a, its own movie unrelated to the speed franchise like if it was just called like Die Hard on a Boat, maybe like maybe, but no, absolutely not. That movie was shit. 
Speed two, striking distance. Oh yeah, I forgot about <laughs> striking distance. Yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> Speed two was speed. The only good thing about Speed two was that the Tune Man was back. <laughs> and then <laughs> the Tune Man, the uh, the which to me like he, that's the dude from Showgirls. That's all yeah, I can remember him in Tune Man. <laughs> <laughs> Showgirls um, has so many weird like background cameos. Yeah, but go- well, and written by a Cleveland writer, Joe Estrahez. Did not know that. We're getting off topic here. Uh, let's go back to. We are. Let's go back. My final question right. for you: What is your favorite Bruce Willis quote? Favorite Bruce Willis quote, as in him, the person, or a, a movie character? Movie character. <laughs> nice. I was hoping to kind of make you scrape that brain bucket. It is complete mush. My favorite Bruce Willis movie quote. I'm trying to come up with something really poignant and like a good way to wrap up the show. And maybe I have unintentionally, but I think, let me look it up real quick. I think I would have to say, and I alluded to this a little bit before from Live Free or Die Hard because there's nobody else to do it right now. That's why. I think that, I mean, that kind of sums up what we've been talking about. Nobody else could be Bruce Willis, but Bruce Willis. And that quote, even though it's from one of the movies that is not as celebrated as some of his other ones, it it I think it lends itself to to his career, the career of being Bruce Willis. The job of being Bruce Willis can only be done by Bruce Willis. How was that? Very good. Is that poignant? I like it. Did that, that was poignant. Did that just blow all kinds of brainwaves everywhere, maybe? Yeah. So what's the verdict? They'll do it. They've made a few requests, though. Such as? Yes. So a few things here. Uh, nothing really big. Uh, just, well, I mean, as an example, uh, uh, Oscar here has got some outstanding parking tickets and wants them wiped off his record. 56 tickets in seven states. I'll, I'll tell him, Oscar. I got it. Okay. Um... Uh, Noonan's got two women friends that he'd like to see made American citizens, no questions asked. Max would like you to bring back eight-track tapes. Not sure if that's going to work, but uh, let's see what else. Uh, Chick wants a full week's Emperor's package at Caesar's Palace. Uh, Hey, you guys wouldn't be able to tell us who actually killed Kennedy, would you? Um, Bear would like to stay at the... White horse. White house. White house. White house. Yeah, he'd like to stay in the Lincoln bedroom of the White House for the summer. Stuff like that. Sure, I think we can uh, take care of some of that. Harry. Yeah, one more thing. Um, none of them want to pay taxes again. Ever. So that wraps it up for season three of Second Chance Cinema. It has been a ride. What we're going to do is we're going to go take a long nap and then we're going to get back with season four. And in between, like I said at the beginning of the show, I know that we're not the most active on social and and all that sort of stuff. We're going to try to get better about that. But in between, if you wouldn't mind sharing our podcast with people you think might enjoy it, telling them to download our episodes and and spread the word. We think that season four could be pretty awesome. Um, Final thoughts on season three, Spro? 
it was great. It was a joy. Like you're saying, you know, with the with the audience, reach out. We're just two normal dudes. I think the the listeners that have reached out to us, I think, share the sentimentality that everybody just likes to talk about these movies that did not get a good rap. And if you're a movie lover and you can sit down and turn your brain off and just enjoy movies like Armageddon, then you're one of us and talk to us and we'll grow together. Well said. Well said. My final thoughts are going to echo kind of what you talked about earlier as we talked about the twilight of Bruce Willis's career. Just that I've enjoyed, I would say, every minute plus or minus two or three percent just given the law of averages of doing season three. You, you're one of my best friends. I love you dearly. I think you're brilliant. And every time we get on to talk about movies, it's it's always a great break from real life. So for myself, MC, and for my dear friend Spro, we want to thank you again for joining us on Second Chance Cinema. Season three is over. Stay tuned because season four is just around the corner and we will see you then. Nice. Love you too. Bye. Aw, thanks, pal. Stay awake just to hear you breathing. Watch you smile while you are sleeping. While you're far away dreaming, I could spend my life in this sweet surrender. I could stay lost in this moment forever. Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or like to recommend a movie for a future show, you could reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2nd Cinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You could find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2nd Cinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible and isn't that really the whole point now go on and have a beautiful day you wonderful person you and if it's not a beautiful day outside stay in and rediscover a gem from the past Nothing can keep me down. I've been attacked by terrorists, asteroids, film critics, music critics, restaurant critics, divorce lawyers, male pattern baldness, and none of it, none of it stopped me because I am still Bruce.